would you like to watch a film? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it's just hard to I, just, I understand why David Lynch writes scripts ahead of time <laughs> and so thus understand why Inland Empire doesn't quite land. Let's just get into it. Uh, here, here's my intro. I pretend to do the backwards talking thing. Uh, that film you like is coming back in style. It's fine if I walk with me because at the time everyone was like, no, this is bad. Yeah. We will boo you at Khan. Is it at Khan where it got booed? Yeah, looking into it, it seems that like it did not get a good reception. Yeah. critical, but like it, it like the the attend like from the nineties, early nineties on, which is people tended to record those things happening. Right, and there, we haven't seen it. Oh, okay, um, but it does. If that's true, it gives us the lovely juxtaposition of the first two episodes of the return getting like a ten minute ovation. Yeah, um, I mean. They got it right the second time. But yeah, we, man, I just, I've been spending so much time recently thinking about David Lynch. Because, <laughs> yeah, to build up to this episode, I was like, I've never, I've never probably done Twin Peaks. Uh, and uh, I think in a very uh, paraplatonic way, I love him. <laughs> and I don't like the person I'm sure is complex and conflicted and works in strange ways, but uh, the, the, the uniting force, the duty behind all of his work. I love that. Just yeah. this strange guy who grew up in the Midwest and went to Philadelphia and saw some really fucked up shit and was like, this is fucked up. And then he was like, and then he had a kid young and was like fuck this is fucked up like being in philadelphia i should combine those two things and i i just had a dream about someone stealing my head and a boy taking it to a pencil factory i, I guess that's uh, a film and he makes a razor head a seminal film yep. and then he's like i mean that's good I, I believe that was at one point at least that was stanley kubrick's favorite film yeah uh which is like that makes sense, sort of. Oh, he um Kubrick repeatedly screened a yeah. Razorhead for um the cast and crew while they were making The Shining. Yeah, and, and like of like Kubrick would never steal directly, but there are clear tonal connections, right? Yeah. To make and it is and going back and and jumping through his work, it's just like oh fuck! Like not only is is David Lynch this uh oh uh, wackadoo Denny's loving maniac <laughs> who 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 thinks genuinely that like a cup of coffee and cherry pie are the best thing in the world? Yeah, and who and who owns like who owns like seven plush Woody Woodpeckers that he took from a gas station? No, no, they they, they, they did, did he Let's, get rid of them or did they disappear? I, I'm I will find. <clears throat> uh, this is I believe. Uh, <laughs> Uh, from an interview with The Telegraph, David Lynch is recalling a day in 1981 when he says he rescued, that's in quotes, five Woody Woodpecker toys that he saw hanging up as he drove past a petrol station. And then there is a photo of him sitting on a large couch with five, um, I'd say roughly infant-sized yep. Woody Woodpecker dolls. And uh, Let's see if I got a David Lynch. I, mean, I scrooched on the brakes. <laughs> no, 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 no. I scrooched on the brakes. I <laughs> no, you, you you're going like Kermit. That's great. No, mm. no, I just yeah, I screeched on. <laughs> 
I screech on the brakes, I do a U-turn, go back and I buy them and I save their lives, he says seriously. I named them Chucko, Buster, Pete, Bob and Dan. And they were my boys and they were in my office. They were my dear friends for a while, but certain traits started coming out and they became not so nice. Looking straight ahead, he says, with a grim finality, they are not in my life anymore. Hello and welcome to Shite and Sound, the podcast where two comedians watch one of the masterpieces of world cinema and then follow it up with a critically reviled film that is similar in some way. Maybe they share themes, plot, actors or director. We want to see if counterpointing these two films can bring out some new information or insights. On this episode, we're watching number 70 on the Sight and Sound list, Blue Velvet, David Lynch's psychosexual neo-noir about the dark underbelly of American suburbia. Our second film this week is Twin Peaks Firewalk Firewalk With Me. David Lynch taking a second look at suburbia and saying, what if this was all underbelly? I kind of disagree with you in principle. I'm of the team that believes that Twin Peaks is about balance. And so, like, Laura Palmer would not be interesting if she was all underbelly. She would also, it'd also be very difficult to, to, to move if she was all <laughs> underbelly. But I don't want to focus on that for now. What I want to focus on is how different a film it would be if it was called Twin Peaks fire work with me <laughs> come on fire christ we got some demons from another realm to work with they want their gum and bosier uh-huh. brackets pain and sorrow close brackets like like obviously when you watch a movie gum and bosier is just corn but do you ever think about like what gum and bosier tastes like yeah like in universe i i think it tastes just like creamed corn which i think is disgusting i kind of think that's I think it is as bad as I, but like I think <laughs> as, that's as, as bad. Looks. Yeah, I think you know. Have yeah. you ever, have you ever creamed a corn? I I don't believe so. Yeah, it, I'm not 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 really a huge corn person. Have you ever had very? Uh, I I enjoy them. I enjoy corn in chip form. Oh right, corn chips. Yeah, uh, as opposed to like microchips. You're not like you know. No, I'm, I'm not making computer parts out of maize. Well, I was thinking more like just having NFTs of pictures of corn. You know the bad. And the food, mm. yep, uh, the the gum and bosia. <laughs> But it is like what what creamed corn tastes like is have you you know like sixty cent pot noodles or instant noodles or soups? Yeah. Can you imagine that chicken flavoring? And like you know how sometimes it doesn't properly dissolve and becomes kind of a slurry. Yeah. Yeah, that is into my memory from well, that, that, when twenty years ago I ate creamed corn. That's what creamed corn is like. Okay, well that sounds awful. Oh, but like obviously slimier and it has bits of corn and. And also, obviously, there's the pain and sorrow. I think there's there's no way that Gowan Bojo could taste good to like humans because it, it's food for like weird demon creatures and it's, we, made, and it's made out of suffering but like we eat Garmin Bojia in a different form like repeatedly there are other people there are people kind of if 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 I think it is fair to say that David Lynch is asking us every time we see someone eating creamed corn in this in 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 the Twin Peaks verse you know Twin Peaks mm-hmm. the second season of Twin Peaks Twin, Twin Peaks, Peaks fire, fire work, work with me uh, and Twin Peaks for a 
to in Twin Peaks for our work with me, the missing pieces. Yeah, work well, with well, me. We need to find these pieces. Um, they find all of those books. Um. Uh. <laughs> or yeah, the books. Uh. And of the, course, the 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 audio book. Uh. The coffee ads. Mm. The Japan and of course probably the most key part the uh, introductions for each episode he filmed with the log lady in 1992 uh, which actually explained quite a lot yeah. man the log lady is great but 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 across that so like when uh, in the return when we see the bad sheriff eating he's eating tv dinners of creamed corn and oh, creamed okay. corn is garmin boja yeah. and what a tv dinner is they're wrapped in plastic oh right <laughs> Uh, 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 Sarah Palmer, uh, uh, whenever we see her eat, it is gum and bojan TV dinners when uh, right, it takes yeah. over the route. That when we first meet the David Lynch child, he's holding it in his hands. So I, I think, but I think it, it tastes like the same to both. But we can never truly perceive what it is like for, for the arm and Mike and Bob and, uh, you know, all the other fun cast characters, <laughs> pointy nose. Um, the, the, the sushi guys, the, the giant, um, the, the like the giant's wife, the golden orbs. Oh, right. Holy just, shit. Just like a, a genuine maniac. But like, uh, there is an interesting like understanding of the holy and the things not to be told. It is like the, the baby in a razor head, when it's pretty clearly a puppet mm. and man, <laughs> That's just someone's fucked up, baby. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 that is killed. <laughs> I, I think. Possibly. I mean, its organs are chopped up with scissors. <laughs> um, uh, spoilers for a Razorhead, a film that I'm a hundred percent sure that if you are listening to this podcast, you have seen. <laughs> I think our audience is a, 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 a as a Venn diagram is a tiny circle within people who've definitely seen a razor here. No, you know? yeah, it's, it's just nothing but Jack Nance stands. <laughs> Jack Nance stands. Mm. Jack stands. Mm. But it, uh, uh, he has always refused point blank to talk about the construction of the of the Eraserhead baby, yeah. and he'll be like, "Oh yeah, we found it, or it was born." Um, and, and he says he gave it gave it a burial, and it. And that, I think, is like partially that he just absolutely does not like to explain things yeah. to the point where... Uh, I think there was an interview of him on some TV show where he said, you know, believe it or not, Eraserhead is my most, spir- is my most spiritual film. And the, and the person interviewing him said, could you elaborate on that? And he said, no. Yeah, because... If you explain it, the magic goes. Yeah, you know, and like I'm, I'm, I'm with him on that. But it is also like an understanding that it is kind of like a part of the power of that baby is that it is an ununderstand, like a slightly incomprehensible thing. Yeah, a- and he understands the idea of putting things beyond any language, which is to say, like visual language or audio language. Like so much of what he does is about the limits of technology, clipping voices, white noise is static and, it, and it's oh yeah I just think he's I, you know I'd put him in a visionary club mm. where with Levinson yep. and with uh, Fennel mm. and uh, Zack Snyder who's direct who else has directed one film uh, Charles Lawton <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's it. They're the visionaries, the yep. five visionaries. Um, 
And the fact that he is doing all of that towards a thematic end, you're still trying to think of directors who've only made one yeah. film. Um, William Shatner. No, he must have directed more films. Uh, there, There is a great uh, installment of the blog, Vakarangi, that makes a very good argument that William Shatner's performance of Rocket Man <laughs> is sincerely good and intentionally so, mm. uh, which I uh, appreciate and believe more than I support. Right, Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. In the way that, like, I appreciate and believe in the idea of, like, opera. Gender equality. No, well, no. You know there's one thing I care about, and that is... Killing all men. Yeah, men becoming submissive. <laughs> like, if you think about it, with current equality, like, oh, we have not achieved gender equality. Uh, mm. uh, uh, no, 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 at, at all. I want to be clear. Women still have life much worse uh, and, and that's like the beginning that's the thin end of a fat fat wedge that it, you know but I'm just saying that if we work over the next 120 years just you me the boys <laughs> to get it so that men are second class citizens we're also at a time where there's so much technology and so much plenty and hopefully it's a socialist utopian future where yeah we'll be second class citizens but that'll just mean that we have to wear like the beige jumpsuits <laughs> and we still get like entertainment pads and actually because the women will be doing all the work but they'll be in control is what will let them think what do you think of that i do do not like the way you're looking at me right now <laughs> what do you think of that idea that i sincerely believe will you join me in subjugating men I gave him a saucy little wink. <laughs> so what was your first encounter with David Lynch? I don't really know. I think it's probably four or five years back, a TV channel started up in New Zealand called Jones, which showed like old, which showed like old-timey shows. And what, 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 Define what, old-timey. Uh, anywhere from uh, the 60s to the 90s. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so like, like the deep, distant, dark past to my childhood is what you're saying. Yeah. That's what old-timey is, my yeah. childhood. Great. That's yeah. fine. I'm yeah. fine with that yeah. information. That's in fact, if anything, that makes me feel better about my age that now my childhood is just a sequence of distorted memories dotted with dusty relics. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, you were saying the one, How one, dare one, you? one of one of the one of the shows they they played on that channel when it started was was Twin Peaks, and I think I saw like the first nine episodes of Twin Peaks, uh, and then I missed I missed one. So the first season and a bit of the second. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then I missed an episode, and I was like. Well, uh, I guess I'm off the Twin Peaks trade now because yeah. I'm, I missed something, so it's uh, gone forever. And so, I, yeah, so I'd, I'd seen that, and then as I started getting more and more into film, I saw uh, more. I saw more of his stuff. I saw. Uh, Mulholland Drive a few years later, mm. uh, then in 2009. What was what was it like seeing Mulholland Drive? I was like, oh, it was, it was real weird. Like my my thing with Mulholland Drive is uh, uh, I do not really get it. And what don't you get about it? Oh, we have a whole episode yeah. to look forward to. Yeah, but so I because I, I think Mulholland Drive is hilariously straightforward as oh, okay. a film. But so so like with, with Mulholland Drive, there has like I think one of my favorite scenes in any movie ever. Yeah, which is the scene in in in. Silencio. Oh, right. Yep. Which, like, just incredible. I love that fucking scene so much. And, yeah, there, there's so much stuff I love in that film. Yeah, the the scene on Lake Silencio where the 11th Doctor regenerates. <laughs> 
Yeah, so then in, in in 2019, I decided to like watch as many of his films as I as I could. So I, I watched like most of his early short films. Yeah. I watched uh, Wild Heart. I watched Razorhead, and uh, I mean, I think, I think last year I saw uh, Lost Highway for the first time. And uh, no, he's just really good. I like David Lynch a lot. Oh, and I finally finished all of Twin Peaks back in 2019. And yeah. Because when I feel like uh, I I knew about David Lynch before I saw any David yeah, Lynch, yeah. and uh, yeah, there was always this heady kind of hanging reputation that oh this what a what a there's a guy oh, he's cra- he's the Deadpool of, of film directors. Yeah. Oh, I actually I I, I I think I did see a, a Blue Velvet on TV maybe maybe before I saw Twin Peaks, but definitely before I saw Mulholland Drive. I cannot remember what I saw first, mm. but it was either a race ahead or blue velvet um and and the thing about and and uh, but i remember my core experience being like i mean they're strange but it's not that weird to me they feel like like clearly one person's interpretation of life but they are not it's not like so much surrealism it feels like the issue is trying to look at it and being like i don't understand what even the fucking base level of this is about like what this could be about how it's nice to be on a ferris wheel or it could be about the grinding solemnity of Catholic prayer, you know? Whereas it has always felt clear to me emotionally what Lynch is doing. Mm. Uh, even when at times like I've I've resisted his works, like Inland Empire, I really come and go on. Um, and Wild at Heart for kind of the same reason. Um, in that I think that they're both they're a bit addicted to themselves in a way that his other things aren't. Right. As much as there's a whole season of Twin Peaks about how Twin Peaks doesn't really exist anymore and so it is it's always so interesting to me and like yeah obviously there are parts that are just surrealism upon surrealism sometimes for 90 minutes or so you know sometimes there's just a lady in your radiator but like Blueville and I saw them close together those two and it is yeah they've just always tracked for me and so I've always right. liked to engage with him as someone who like oh like you know, things look a bit weird but you know where he's at like I feel like the reason he He's, he's everyone's favorite weirdest filmmaker is because there's also something quite relatable in his work yeah and uh, they're all funny and good and like entertaining like they're also good bits of film um so blue velvet two years ago he made june yeah and like june is uh, well we've done an episode on it on a, on one version of it uh and it's, it's a mess yeah, uh, it was taken out of his hands, and and since then he's been like, no, if I don't have final cut on something, I don't make it, mm. uh, because then it is not the entirety of my vision, which yeah. is what maniacs say. Um, but it is also like June is a very good example of seeing how if you're gonna make something as singular as a Lynch work or Lynch work wants to be, you kind of, the back always has to stop with someone. Yeah. Um, and so the the so going from that this incredible huge space opera um about the muadib uh no well paul muadib um thank you uh to two years later Usul. <laughs> um uh, I, I will kill him etc uh, etc et um so the thing about Usul is it means the shadow of the shadow of the sand mouse under the light of the second moon um but like his 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 two films prior to june were were the elephant man which is uh an adaptation of baba i believe <laughs> <laughs> um but it, it's like a period piece and a dreamlike period piece and the film before that is a razor head which uh is uh it's a razor head it's not it's like you don't look at a razor 
ahead and go like, oh yeah, that looks like it's down the street from me. Or I understand. Uh, oh, I mean, this is, you can look at Lynch's biography and go like, he is riffing on his experiences in urban Philadelphia. But look, looking at the film, you're just like, is it a dystopian future? Is it a past? Is it a nightmare landscape? Uh, or is it just uh, the the film school he went to in, in, in California and lived there for a bit um, for, for several years, yeah. during which Jack Nance could not cut his hair. I think about that a lot. Jack Nance living with your razor head haircut <laughs> for like for three, three years. years. Yeah. I mean, it mu- just must have, like, Jesus Christ. That, that, like, that is more commitment of a bit than almost anyone has ever shown. He, and he was like, Jack Nance was the guy many times pushing it uphill, like, no, we got to keep going on this. <laughs> just, wow. And, like, uh, an all-time undersung performance, Jack Nance on a raise head, but, but we're talking about Blue Velvet. So, like, as much as we can go Lynchian-ness in a way, to call something Lynchian, kind of, you're talking about Blue Velvet and Mulholland Drive, which is this. Uh, kind of slick and sometimes hokey view of the modern world, which is uh, that has this dark undercurrent. It's also Twin Peaks, yeah, right? The simultaneous kitsch and horror. Yeah, and and, and finding the pleasure and but the mm. unironic pleasure in both of yeah. those things. Um, and, and and as much as obviously, well, especially Elephant Man and Eraserhead are clearly David Lynch films, and June is more than people think it is. Yeah. This is like where it begins, and so yes. it is so like. As much as, and it is that thing, and this is a thing that I think a lot about Twin Peaks as well with rewatching it, is that it is incredible how instantly iconic everything in it is. It's like the opening montage of Blue Velvet, a guy mowing a lawn, no, he's spraying it with water. Yeah, uh, an old Tommy fire truck drives past with a fireman on the side just waving. Beautiful white picket fences, leaves, trees, and then into the grass, cockroaches. What are they on? And and it is just like instantly like holy shit i get it all and that is like that is in chronological terms if you're watching the films in order that's like the first time he's done it and he's perfected it yeah already in the way that like yeah the thing that always strikes me about 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 twin peaks is like the reason they keep returning to that image of Laura Palmer's dead body wrapped in plastic is that it's magically the perfect image. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's perfect. It's, it is, it, it's, uh, it's incredible. Uh, uh, and so who do we, but now we're in Lumbertown, I believe it's yes. called. Uh, where no, uh, uh, it's, it's, uh, I, I, I believe it's Lumberton. Lumberton. That's right. Where yeah. they saw wood, which is another term for dreaming. Cause snoring, snoring wood. Oh, it is right. a thing. Right. Yeah. 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 Mm. Um, who do we meet? We meet old uh, Kyle McLaughlin. From Showgirls? Yeah, absolutely. From Desperate Housewives? Yep, from uh, Portlandia. From City the and Sex? What else has Kyle McLaughlin been in? Oh, uh, 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 from uh, The Hidden. Here we go. Um... What's he up to? He's visiting someone at Hospo. Yeah, his, his, his old his old dad had a had a heart attack in the in the opening montage. Yeah, and is now in hospital. He's come home from college to to see him, and uh, then everything goes fine. Yeah, he he uh, just he just hangs out in town for a bit, sees some old friends, has a has a couple Heinekens. 
Oh, there's a very important thing to him. Yeah, he just chugs back some high knees. Uh, they get a bit drunk. They sing Bliss. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, credits roll. <laughs> yeah. That's it. And you're like, wait a minute, isn't there someone called Frank in this? Isn't isn't Isabella, fuck, what is her surname? Isabella Rossellini. Isn't Isabella Rossellini in this? She's the no. daughter of Roberta Rossellini and Ingrid Bergman. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, that explains why she's so attractive. Mm. I thought it's because she was ageless. I'm basically that on the documentary Death Becomes Her in which she plays an ageless vampire being. Oh, right. No, it's because she's the daughter of Ingrid Bergman. It's doing a lot of the heavy lifting, I think. Maybe. Maybe it's the, the death. The a- ageless vampire ageless, thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, she, I mean, that's I'll, how she I'll, gets I'll, both I'll Meryl and Goldie. Yeah. Okay. Ring, 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 ring. Hello, Isabella here. Hello. <laughs> Some, is there anyone... Anyone there? Oh yeah, hi, yeah. It's uh, Shine Sound Podcast. Um, my, my name's Ethan Dane, but my friend uh, Finn here has some questions he wants to ask you. Okay, hi, hi Finn. I'm saying that right. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's correct. Hi, happy to take a happy to call in. Yeah, I, I was just wondering if uh, uh, if if you were um, uh, if if you were an ageless vampire. <laughs> no, of course not. What a silly thing. I would, is this, phone, is this call being recorded? Uh, no, it's oh, not. Okay, l- listen up, punk. Mm. Fucking listen, listen up close. My name, <laughs> I made that whole death becomes herself to, to throw people off the scent. Oh, it's like how Willem Dafoe did Shadow of a Vampire to stop people realizing he was actually a vampire. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's where I got the idea from. That film was in development for a very <laughs> long time. Because well, it was yeah. based on the making of the movie Nosferatu, where where Max Schreck was also actually a vampire. Yeah, I hate Ferratu. Shrek. I want none of him. I want no Nosferatu. Ferratu. I can, have you told anyone else about this? No, no. Well, oh, I, I, okay, I, I, okay. I wouldn't do that to you. You're a, you're a, you're a screen legend. Oh, thank you, thank you. I I just I just I just want to say, with all the love in the world, I love to chat to a fan. But um, if you tell anyone. I'm an ageless vampire. I will find you and I'll uh, cut you up so that you're like a Woody Woodpecker doll. Well, 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 <laughs> well. Luckily, I'll I'll never invite you inside my house, so you won't be able to uh, kill me with your ah. vampire powers. Uh, and you never leave your house. Well, I, I like to think the whole, the, the, the whole world is my home, really. Nah, people have tried that on me before. Oh, it doesn't work. Yeah, fuck, yeah, no. fuck, fuck. Got you. <laughs> what what? Watch your fucking Oh, 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 okay, okay. Sorry, sorry. Oh no, she's she's hung up. Oh, oh. That was. Damn, I made a bad impression. Like we don't often get scored. <laughs> like yeah. everyone knows, it's, we it's don't. Been, <laughs> it's been like fifteen episodes since we've had a big star like that call. <laughs> but I think it is interesting the amount of big stars we get to phone in, and then very quickly <laughs> end up <laughs> antagonistic. <laughs> And threatening towards us. Well, because here's the thing: like, like we 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 are not these fucking like we're not the fucking brown noses that appear on every other fucking movie podcast. Yeah. We're, we're unafraid to ask for tough questions, and we don't care if we alienate some of these big shots. I these Hollywood phonies. I absolutely agree with you. If I think there's a problem with modern film podcasting, it is that all the podcasts are too nice. <laughs> All of these good film podcasts. Like every time a fucking famous person or a famo go yeah. go go goes goes on a podcast, it's suddenly you know, unless it's Charlie Kaufman on Commodore Mayor. 
Well, yeah. But like, it's impossible to be nice to Charlie Kaufman. I, could, I would be nice to Charlie Kaufman. You fucking try it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie, hi. How you doing? You there, Charlie? Ah, <laughs> oh, I can tell it's you. It's because it's on. It's what's it called when it shows up on your phone? Your name is programmed. I just, I know you can't speak right now, but I just want to say, uh, love your work. Not human nature, obviously. Um, uh, bye. Do, 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 do. What a rude man. <laughs> Didn't even talk to you. <laughs> I, 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 like, it would not be surprising if Charlie Kaufman just like, you know, you've got a phone call from Charlie Kaufman because no one speaks. <laughs> then, exactly, then you just have to intuit his meaning. Yeah, no, then five years later, he makes a movie with Nicolas Cage where Nicolas Cage plays both the people like uh, making and receiving the phone call. And you'd be like, oh, that's what it would have been like if he if he'd picked up the phone. So Glocklow, Kylie Glocklow, yeah. um, uh, an absolute gold-plated star, the kind of man who, who whose career can work and can clearly be like a major piece of the modern acting puzzle. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, it's not despite being in Desperate Housewives or City, The, and Sex. I don't know why I've decided that. No, That's difficult. Neither do I. Or Portlandia. Or Showgirls. Yeah. It kind of, because of it, it's like how absolutely he commits to all of those things. Yeah. I think he kind of rules in Showgirls, even though I've, I've heard him talk about how like, uh, there was like, a level of irony <coughs> in his performance that I enjoy a lot, but, but when he talks about his performance, he doesn't think there's a level of irony to it. He thinks that's like a... He, he is sincerely giving that like weird performance. And it is... Agree. Yeah. Like, there is a clear type that he plays that is the Boy Scout. Yeah. But he is... And like, June's, almost, June's most Lynchian thing is the idea that Paul Atreides is a Boy Scout, <laughs> basically, you know? But he has... He's found such range within that yeah. and and like subverting that and I think Showgirls sits in subverting that and Mr. C sits in subverting the Boy Scout idea. Yeah, I mean and so so so, so does Blue Velvet. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. but it, that that that's not about him. Like Blue Velvet is, is when I say subverting, I mean like so pointedly not doing that. Whereas right, like right, Blue yeah, Velvet yeah. is like what if a Hardy Boys Boy Scout mystery actually encountered something fucked? Yeah. Because and then what if he he fucked. <laughs> this boy, he fucks. So, uh, so Glock Glow, um, he's just going uh, for a walk, and he finds. No, he's not. It, it, it's it's near his yard. He no, f- no, he, he's like walking. He's like it's there's like shared in the distance. He's like walking through yeah. that, that, that like abandoned part of town. That's right. Yeah. And he finds this ear covered in ants on the ground. It's kind of moldy as well. I thought they were cockroaches. No, the cockroaches are in the first scene. I mean, when it cuts, when it, yeah, it's ants. Um, which is a word. Which uh, might be a reference to Unshin Andalu. Who can tell? And so he finds this ear and he goes to the police and he's like, guys. You're not going to believe this. I found an ear. Yeah. Um, I've heard about. And then the police always say, well, what did you find in here? Tell us. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, I was going to go with, oh, that that is just from uh, the local amateur production of Julius Caesar. And, and when Brutus cried out, friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears, one of the uh, local supporting thespian actors got a little too into their pantomime and tore their listener asunder. Some of the local actors decided to do a, a live action version of Loving Vincent. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen Loving Vincent? Uh, no. It, like, uh, I, I was, I was going to see it while it was at the Academy, I and mean, after it left, I didn't bother. The idea of it is so good. Yeah. Which is a film about Vincent Van Gogh in the style of Vincent Van Gogh, mm. and it achieves that so well. But like the tragedy is, is that like, and like there, there are really interesting performances Mm. in it, but you can tell it was written by someone who was really quite obsessed with getting it quote unquote right Right, and has all the facts. And so there is no set, like there's just not much life in it, Mm. uh, in a way. It's better than the Willem Dafoe one, which I found, uh, rancorous and overstyled it's one of those handheldy kind of post dog me films where like every shot it seems like it takes 20 seconds to get into focus and you're like i get it i get it. it's like i'm supposed to be here but like this canted angle shot like you've dropped the camera on the ground of him putting on his shoes for two minutes is feels like you're deliberately wasting my time oh, i don't know that sounds pretty good there's uh, in the film the floor the second part opens with a man in in a recording studio uh, uh, singing. He's recording a song, but uh, he's only doing, uh, he is only a backup singer. And uh, so you, so you just hear like the instruments playing and then every like 20, 30 seconds you'll hear him go, no. And, uh, and he's entirely out of focus. And this goes on for about five minutes. It's very good. I like it a lot. Yeah, but is something else in focus? No. Maybe the, like, mixing desk is in focus. Yeah, that seems like a prank someone made and put in a film. Yeah, it's it's a 14-hour long prank that it took them 10 years to make. I mean, some people have raised children as pranks. That takes roughly the same time. It's good. Check it out, everyone. The floor. (laughs) I thought you were talking about prank children. (laughs) A thing I just invented. People raising children as a prank. Oh, no, someone's someone's done that on like some awful like YouTube family has done that. I would exp- like if you found out if the Paul parents were like we raised Logan and Jack Paul as a prank, we deliberately socialized them to be just the worst of everything. Mm-hmm. You'd be like, oh, that's actually a pretty good YouTube prank. Yeah. Uh, like if, if you just found out that like Jake Paul's dad like like twenty years ago had been like had put had put like a massive bet down on on the movie Airplane mode someday existing <laughs> that's right we have to do airplane mode at uh, some point. Yeah. or the thinning or the thinning to yeah. new world order starring laura herring oh from Mulholland oh right Drive. right oh no that's upsetting maybe we yeah. did that with Mulholland Drive. Oh, no mm. i just i want to remember her at her best yeah wearing a rabbit head and rabbits that married to a like european prince or something in rabbits? No, no, in real life. She, she's like married to some like aristocrat or something. Yeah. Yeah. Her full name. <laughs> she's Laura Elena Countess von Bismarck Schonenhausen. Okay, yeah. So this cop, do you know the cop played by George, George, George Dickerson. George Dickerson. Um, whose name is, can you remember what the character's name is? It's Detective Williams. John Williams. Right. Um, and like that feel like 
to get into like uh, 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 oh, and of course Carl McLaughlin's character is called Jeffrey Beaumont yeah Jeff Jeffo Jezza Jeremy Clark's Beaumont Imagine. Top Gear but presented by Jeffrey Beaumont <laughs> if you found out Carl McLaughlin was like one of the hosts of the American Top Gear you'd be like I guess <laughs> okay he could do it yeah I mean like, some, 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 someone's got to host it I mean they don't, there is another option which is not and sometimes I think good option not I mean, look, Mac Le- Matt, Matt LeBlanc needs the work. But he was uh, He's host on yeah. the British yeah, version. Yeah, I know. God, that's so depressing. What are your thoughts on Fifth Gear? Well, I don't know what that is. You can call yourself a gearhead. No, I don't. I've never called yeah, myself Yeah, you do. You're wearing a shirt right now that says, um, what would JC... It says no, WW... It's, no, it's actually got a picture of a record on a record player, and it says The Clash, London Calling. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Because I like the album London Calling by I The Clash. I am... And someone bought this for me I, I would never buy a graphic I t-shirt am for myself drawing the line here i've had it with you gaslighting our devout listenership the t-shirt you are wearing is a white t-shirt with black text that says wwjcd question mark underneath it says what would jezza clarkson do question mark and then on the back there's a color printout of jeremy clarkson uh looking all cheeky while he physically assaults someone for not bringing him warm steak a legitimate thing jeremy clarkson did do that yep jeremy clarkson host of who wants to be a millionaire so he meets up with the cop john williams and john yeah. williams is like okay yeah, it certainly is an ear yeah that is an ear have it's good for listening do you know i'm a composer and uh in uh, like hey we're, we're welcome back in town we're, we're we'll investigate this yeah ants etc you know my daughter laura dern from jurassic park is or sandy williams as you may know her and uh, sandy valens she has a different surname for some reason. No. No, you think of Dorothy Valens. Fuck, of course I am. This is Isabella Rossellini's character. Sorry, I, I just... Sandy I, Williams. Uh, and, and and Jeff is like, oh, yeah. And sadly, they never meet. Uh, we only know from the... No, they they they, they meet up. And- no, well, he... The, the the way that Laura Dern is introduced in this movie is uh, incredible. I mean, like, I, I don't want to overstress this, but I think the execution of literally yeah. anything on the micro or macro level in this film is incredible. There was a, there's a point earlier, uh, just to give an example, and... I won't go into this level of yeah. detail. I just want to show how deep my 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 appreciation for this film is. Uh, there's a point where Calm Glockin leaves the room, but he starts in a pretty tight close-up. He's perfectly in focus. The background, out of focus. The door is behind him, and he slowly, slowly walks backwards up to the door and through it. And they're shooting on a shallow aperture. Again, anamorphic. It is hard to hit focus, mm. but pin-sharp throughout, like it is magneted to him. The focus puller on this film did an incredible job and I just say they're watching this being like this scene is metaphorically resonant (laughs) dynamic dramatically interesting and it is perfectly in focus not you know but no like it's I'm not saying I'm not looking at B plus work and going like fine which is most focus pulling it's hard it's hard Mm. to get a B plus it's a I was like holy fucking shit that's perfect and I feel that about almost every element of this film (laughs) yeah it's Mm. I I I, uh, is it a bit too early for me to say I think Blue Velvet by David Lynch is a good film 
I think there's a reason it's maybe on this list of the best movies. I think it should be higher. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's, it's definitely on the yee yee list for me. Right. But there's another David Lynch film that I think should be higher, and I think uh, and it's the other film we watched because it's not on the list at all. Right? Seems ridiculous. Twi- what, fire, f- fire, fire, yeah. fire! Work with me. No, it's, it's not on the list anymore. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. So Jeffrey walks out of the house, having, having yeah. handed the air off to a detective. And then he hears a voice from behind him. He turns around. There is this complete darkness down, 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 down the street, and it holds on a darkness for like a while. Uh, yeah, and there are there's like two to five seconds where the screen is essentially completely black. Yeah, and, and it's all like like bottom right corner. There's like a little bit of light. Yeah, yeah. but but yeah, like the screen is almost entirely black. And then Laura Dern walks out of the darkness, and. Uh, it's very good. Well, and it is like like the power of Laura Dern isn't in. Ha- oh, I just don't know how to f- to 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 phrase what I am about to say without being a terrible man. <laughs> and I'll just do it because you know what I think should happen to men. Mm-hmm. Subjugate. Um, and who would you like to subjugate you, Laura Dern? <laughs> Yes, <laughs> and Carl McLaughlin. Like it, later in the scene, I turned to you and said, "No." At the end of the scene, yeah. I was like, "Why aren't they the, they the leads in every film?" Yeah. And like, there's a clear diversity issue there. <laughs> but like, why is why can't I? Why uh, why did they not make a film a year for the mm. next twenty years? Why can't I just watch a Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf with Laura Dern and Carl McLaughlin? Why can't I see them as like Titania and Oberon in an otherwise fine? Midsummer Night's Dream. Why can't I see? Yeah, yeah. Like, why can't I? Like, as as the captain and the captain's lover on the Concordia, you know? Like, yeah, they 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 could have been like a like a Hepburn and Tracy, where yeah. they, just make just making movies together. Uh, uh, and instead, we only get them together twice, but both times it is uh, perfect yeah. and disturbing and, and horrifying. But Lord. <laughs> Is like her stardom comes from charisma as opposed to appearance. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I am not saying she's not an attractive woman because I've got eyes. Yeah. But her attractiveness is that she's like an attractive person as opposed to like most superstar celebrities where you're like, oh, that's a carving of a god. Yeah. You know, like Army Hammer. No, I'll think of a better example. Paul Rudd uh, (laughs) is attractive in a way that humans aren't yeah he is like they're people where you're like no you only exist in photos and and and, and, and like mclaughlin has a little bit of that but like and so the the as she steps out of this darkness into the light and you're immediately like oh an angel has walked into the film i'm i'm sure that i uncomplicatedly should fetishize this woman <laughs> and that won't at all be subverted by this film it's just um yeah no it is it, it, it's another film where everyone is working at the highest possible mm level and it's it's incredible but uh, uh, they go for a walk they have a chat they talk about stuff about how yep. he's doing at college yeah about how she's doing at high school about the town yeah um, about how boring it is how nothing ever happens there but he also mentions the ear right uh yeah uh, and she's well, like, no, she, she 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 brings it up because because her, her room's next to her dad's office and so she hears him talking about stuff because of cause, course yeah yeah, yeah. Because um, later, when when she says to him, you know, we're, we're, we're not supposed to talk about that, he says, "You brought it up." Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah, and she's like, "I I don't know that he has something to do with a a lounge singer called Dorothy Valens." <laughs> um, and so Jeff does 
just the abs. Like, what would you do in that situation? Uh, I, just I, off the top of your head. Well, I, I'd uh, uh, first of all, I'd say uh, take me to her, her apartment and yeah. uh, and, yeah, yeah. and point it out to me. Yeah. Then, yeah, uh, then let's go to the place where she works. Yeah. And watch yeah, her yeah. sing. And then while she's uh, singing, what song do you think she'd sing? Uh, uh, road, Jack. Don't you come back no more. <laughs> like that, like that one. No, no. Um, I think. Hear me out. It mm. might be a bit double Picasso. Mm. Film's called Blue Velvet. Blue Velvet played over the opening credits. What if she also sang Blue Velvet? Three more times. Mm. The last time it's someone else, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah the, 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 the first and last time it's like the original recording. I mean, the middle two times it's... it's oh, I thought mm. they were different. At the beginning. I, be, I believe you. I just... My, my interpretation was wrong. And like, again, another sign of how much I... How good this film is. I made the joke to you repeated times. Just like, oh, the song again. Great. But each time it's doing such a different thing. Yeah. Like the first time it is like, welcome to this beautiful elegy to the glories of suburban America. It's... Lumberton, North Carolina. It's a bit blue velvet. It's a little sad, but ain't it pretty? And now this time it is just this moment of just incredible star power and magnetism mm. and uh, uh, watching her uh, sing with this pianist behind her. And it's, um, then what would you do? So uh, she sung, she sung, let's say, Hit the Road Jack or uh, Blue Velvet. Oh, so um, I actually forgot part of what I would do, oh, which yeah. is uh, b- before I go and watch this thing, I would, I would dress up as an exterminator with with like a with like a tank to like spray stuff on like overalls, and I'll go up to her apartment and say, "Hey, I'm the exterminator. Uh, I'm here to like kill uh, like rodents or insects." And uh, then when she's not looking, I'd uh, steal her spare key. Yeah, that like. It's a pretty good plan. It's a bit, it's a bit dodgy these days, you know, because you mm. can't joke about anything. Cancel culture has run amok. Yeah, and that's why both of us have become jokerified. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I just look at situations and I just think whatever doesn't kill you makes you joker. Why so jokerous? Um, I, I'm I'm sick of tired of, uh, of thinking that it's Joker. Mm-hmm. I'm a Joker now, um, but but I have to be clear. I'm the Joker. If he was a Pokemon, I can really only say my own name. No, but like who who wouldn't? When you found an ear and Laura Dern is like it's in this woman's house. I think any red blooded male would be like, I'm going to dress up as an exterminator and I'm going to steal a key to her house. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And if you think there's something wrong with that, I think you should subjugate (laughs) all men. So they steal the key. Yeah, and they they well, uh, um, when she finds out he has the key, Laura Dern, that is, mm. uh, Sandy, she's shocked. He thought he was just going to check it out. Right, like yeah. he is already escalating the situation. Yeah. Um, because he is kind of hypnotized immediately by this mystery, and she's just like, it's just kind of fun. And yeah, every and, time, and she just wants to hang out with Carl McLaughlin. Well, and like, and the thing I love so much about Sandy as a character is that she's not a press if you know what mm. I mean just to say she's not a, a stripper robot who's shot while falling through glass <laughs> um, no she it's not like her reluctance comes where your reluctance would be and mm. that you'd be like yeah maybe kind of let's investigate this crime but like stealing the key you know it's yeah. not like it is an interesting way to do push and pull of tension without it just being the obvious easy thing which is her just being like no as the woman in this situation I'd like to say that no fun is allowed yeah and and, and there's also like 
there's like intense like innocence and naivety to her, but also it's not like being like, well, she's the innocent naive one. I don't think it is like yeah, yeah. I think maybe not, but like there's there's definitely like innocence. Well, but I I like a lot of what again to just go deep and I've been thinking a lot about David Lynch recently. Um, is that like his idea of all of his images of like angelic goodness mm. um, that are not ultimately proven to be monstrous and Laura Dern is not one of them yeah. uh, are people that that hold both the good and bad parts of themselves mm. that acknowledge the darkness within themselves while fighting for good and I think yeah that is represented in her there mm. so it is like there there is a quote unquote purity to her yeah. or uh, an in, like an angelic thing to her, but it comes from it, it is it is not it's not despite her wisdom or knowingness it is because of that mm. do you know what I mean yeah um and, and then what would you do next so you've done that then we've flipped through tide we've gone and seen her do the song and it's uh, uh but you know if someone called it the best moment in film I wouldn't disagree with it. no mm. but like it would be Club Silencio is still yeah. like but it is she knows how to fucking sing that song and now I wish she hadn't threatened you if I'm honest anyway you were saying yeah so while she's singing just before her song ends me and Laura Dern would would, would, would leave the club yeah, 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 go back to her course. place use a key to break in yeah well and, uh, it is and like now that they're at like it just seems like to be it's going to be this fun adventure still mm. you know it's, it's going to be great but the sense that Laura Dern has of like no no we are crossing this we are crossing a line I okay you you go in I'll, I'll just go home no I'll, I'll let her know I'll let you know when she's coming I'll, mm. I'll honk the horn four times and it is just like the the conflict is that Carl McLaughlin is like no I'm in a Hardy Boys book I'm just gonna go investigate I'll find the rest of her head and a note that explains why she did the murder and, and, and Laura Dern is being like no 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 we're in the mate we're in the real world <laughs> where like things are, are complicated and violent and, yeah. and scary don't do that anyway I, I yeah, it's good, I think. Mm. Uh, and, and he gets up there and he's, he's having a look around mm-hmm. and looking in her undies drawer at one point, I believe. Uh, I think there were, and I was like, mm, I don't know about, that was a bit, it's a bit too sexy for me. Uh, and, and then I put a, uh, took a large drink of water and then what happened? <laughs> uh <laughs> So uh, uh, then uh, she 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 comes home. He he hides in her closet, uh, yeah. which uh, luckily for uh, uh, for both us and the filmmakers uh, and Carl McLaughlin. Yeah, it, it's, I it's, do not think what you're about to say is lucky for Carl McLaughlin, but it's, it's one of those closets with the like downward slant of slits yeah, in the yeah. door, so so you can you can see out if you're looking from inside. Oh, and it it's just the regular a, Michael Myers stuff. It just does a great job, and because you've got all the light outside, you've got this big field of light coming through a small hole that just does this beautiful dappled slit of light across his face another just instantly iconic moment yep. um but but she she finds him she comes home and well, she, she, she first she like gets a call from from someone yeah and it's not a very pleasant call no but she says that she wants to sing blue velvet yeah um and, and then she finds some hiding in the closet, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, well, she, she, she's she's in the process of getting changed, and she yeah. she 
yeah, she she and hears him making noise. Her. Yeah, and she uh, she hears him making noise in the closet. Yeah. So she uh, goes and gets a knife and then uh, uh, then flings open the closet door mm-hmm. and uh, uh, is uh, uh, slightly confused as to why uh, there is a man uh, hiding in her closet. She thinks that's a bit weird. Yeah, it's pretty Lynchian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so of course she does the standard thing, which is she uh, clearly trying to exert a, a twisted power through these oddly learned techniques forces him to undress and and then um well uh there might be children listening so i'll just say that you know she um you know downstairs how imagine uh okay so um, she 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 starts sucking his dick or she have you ever um do you know when you're given a a gob job We, uh, so one time I was talking with the leader of a of a uh, uh, the, the, the leader of a gang, and <laughs> this is true. What he is about to say is true. Okay, so he, one, well, he, oh, which is to say, like I don't know if this is true, but Finn has told me this story with no expectation of anyone else hearing it, and I believe it to be true. That's just the thing yeah. I want to put before this story. So one time I just done a comedy show at the classic. I was feeling pretty good about myself. It had gone well, I think. Uh, and then I was standing out. I was standing out in the lobby, and two couples. In, in the in the mid fifties, uh, just sort of like appeared around me and were like kind of vaguely hitting on me. And after a while, I was like, "Oh, this is a bunch of swingers who are trying to like pick me up." Uh, I don't I don't enjoy this. Uh, and for, for 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 about ten minutes, these these four fucking like rich creeps were just like hitting on me and just like trying to like touch me. And the men were like trying to imply that I was gay. I think so. I'd be angry and want to fuck their wives more. It was it was a very weird situation. I did not enjoy but uh, after I'd uh, closed off my body language enough that they finally got the fucking hint they, they left and I, I went over and stood at the bar to talk to the bartender and, and one of my other friends who was there and uh, as I went and stood at the bar, uh, what, what, one of the other people who'd been watching the show came up and uh, stood next to us. Uh, it was a large, um, lo- like large Maori man wearing like a leather jacket, just like all, all, all leather. And he turns to me and he says, uh, "Oh, you should, you should, you should, you should have gone with them. They have a, like uh, such and such club out of Parnell. They have the meanest orgies." And I said, uh, uh, "No thanks, I'm not really an orgy guy." And then he's like, "Oh, you're pretty funny. Uh, I'll buy you a drink." And I said, "No, I don't drink. It's uh, it's fine, thank you." And he's like, "No." I'll I'll, I'll I'll buy you a drink, and I said no. I I I, I don't I, I don't I don't drink. Oh, you don't. I don't drink, and. And and then uh, after a few more like kind of back and forth with that, uh, he said, uh, "What do you you uh, do? You want your dick sucked?" And I said, uh, "No, I'm fine, thanks." And he's he said, "Because uh, I, I I know I know people. I can get you. I I can get you a dick sucked if you want." And I said, "No, I'm I'm fine." He said, "How how come on, man? How 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 often are you getting your dick sucked?" And I said, "I'm getting my dick sucked uh, ex- exactly as often as I need it to be," and and he. Uh, I think at, at that point was like, oh, okay, this this, this guy, this, this guy uh, is not interested in, in anything I'm trying to offer him. So he turns to uh, uh, he, he turns to my my friend who's sitting at the bar, uh, who who was a 21 year old woman. This, this guy's in his like mid 40s. He turns to this woman and says, uh, "You you want to fuck me, don't you?" And she said, "No." And he's like. I, I I know you want to fuck me. I mean, he he turns around to leave. He walks out. He walks out the door, and as he's partway as he's partway through the door, he turns back and he says, "If you ever, if you ever want to get fucked, just let me know." He and he finishes walking out the door. The door swings closed. Uh, the the bartender runs over and locks the door, and then comes back over to us and says, uh, "Do do you, do you guys know who that was?" We say no. He's like, "Oh, that's uh, 
Uh, that, that, that's, that's the president of the Headhunters, which is a, one of New Zealand's largest, uh, uh, largest gangs. Apparently he's a big fan of comedy and uh, dick sucking. I wish I had not used it already as a joke because that story is genuinely Lynchian. (laughs) (laughs) Like the one thing I think he would add is that like as he was leaving reflected in the windows of of the classic, you would see his face replaced with Frank Silver's face, you know? Or suddenly there'd be an image of static and a man with a long white pointed nose would flash across the scene before you see uh, the man from another place be like, the classic comedy should book you Dean <laughs> boy, stand up more. Yeah, it should. That comedian you like <laughs> is coming back in style. Is it future when youth hasn't booked at the classic? Or is it past? When Yutha was booked at the classic. So anyway, she starts sucking his dick. If he looks at her, she starts shouting like, don't look at me. And if he tries to touch her, she like bats his hands away. Uh, and then uh, they... Uh, and it it's horrible. Mm. Like it is, it yeah. is... It's a genuinely like upsetting scene, and you, you see a lot of Carl McLaughlin's ass, which is nice. Uh, uh, yeah, but that even the 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 the, yeah. the scopophilic pleasure of seeing a, such a such a a plump but <laughs> compact caboose <laughs> is, is is um twisted and, and harrowed. Yeah. you know. Yeah. And then uh, the uh, then, then she 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 get she does, does she get another call from Frank saying that it's coming up, or they just hear the door. Yeah. Yeah, just hear the door. Yeah. There's a knock at the door. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, it's a knock at the door. Yeah, so Um, they they hear a knock at the door. Uh, and she um, forces Jeffrey uh, uh, to hide back, uh, to hide in the closet again. Yeah. So this time he's just in his underdecks. Well, no, he, he's he's naked when he goes back in the closet. He 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 puts his underpants back on while he's in the closet. Yes. He goes yeah, back yeah. in naked. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, this little old guy called Frankie Booth comes in and played by Dennis Hopper. And now, uh, yeah, it's just. Mm. Uh, Dennis Hopper is Frank Booth is uh, one of cinema's greatest monsters. Yeah. And it uh, 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 and it is hard to express what an impact he ha- like he has appearing in this film. Yeah, in that he it's this horrific suddenly just this unhinged vector of violence and and like sociopathic hatred and, and like even when he's doing things he likes, he is. Furious yeah. at his own and other people's pleasure, and, and like insists on removing both of those things, and yeah, in a lot of ways, and it is like, and, and and because he's a David Lynch character, the only thing that can ever like placate him is uh, uh, is fifties music, and, and uh, the big canister of amyl nitrate he keeps huffing. <laughs> oh, is, is is that what it's supposed to be? Yeah, I believe so. Okay, uh, 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 like uh, uh, one of the lo- oh, okay. one of the bits. So it's like hoppers on poppers. Yeah, <laughs> good, good one. Yeah. One one of that we should say because one of the bits of movie trivia every nerd learns getting into film is of course that David Lynch's original intention be that it, it was helium okay. where, where and it's like the punchline of that is supposed to be like wouldn't it be ridiculous I'm like no no I trust David Lynch that yeah because because Frank comes in and and long story short 
has some decent like weasel words, but like questionably consensual sexual interactions. No, like uh, 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 Dorothy is clearly somewhat in debt to or owned by Frank, right? Yeah, he's Frank has taken her her uh, her husband and her son uh, captive, and is forcing her to sing uh, Blue Velvet like every night at his club. Uh, And uh, and he and yeah, no, he uh, it's a horrific scene of sexual violence uh, uh, and we observe it as um, Jeff does through the crack and, and of course it is uh, when he is raping her we watch and when he hits her we look away because uh, Jeffrey and we are Puritans yeah and and, and, and you get to hear uh, Dennis Hopper say uh, the the all-time uh, great film line uh, baby wants to fuck uh, and it is just like the, the Frank Booth goes through times of being a meme yeah. you know uh and, and, and they wax and wane uh, and it is just like i can understand how out of context he's funny but he it is just so genuinely uh horrific yeah uh in a way that like it is interesting because as we'll get to like blue velvet got very mixed reviews uh at, at the time and like the positive reviews tended to be from the genre press right was yeah. people going like no 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 you're wrong this is a horror film and it's dope whereas there are like Ebit and Kermode both came down on like no this is shock for shock's sake yeah and it just seems so clear to me in this scene which again it is like abject and horrific mm. uh, um, but also like within that very carefully staged so it never feels like like there is little to no nudity in it I believe in, in, in that in this scene right yeah yeah and, and, and that is and like that does not make it any less shocking but what it means is that it removes any chance of it being like titillating if yeah. you know what i mean and it has and by making sure that we are watching the way the character's watching like it's so like it it's just so clearly doing a thing it's so clearly asking you to not just watch the thing but question watching the thing and what it does to us that yeah i don't know i don't know what those people were smoking but that but they were wrong but uh um and we keep cutting back to him at, at her moments of greatest distress and it does seem and the question is always is he going to help but he is a coward yes. uh, and he does not and we do not help and we continue watching because we are also cowards um, just as Mike watches tries to save Laura Palmer and then watches her die anyway uh, because uh, David Lynch uh, hates himself and us oh yes yeah. fuck yeah. of course because Fra- Frank Frank leaves yeah. and uh, uh, then uh, then then Jeffrey uh, uh, Je- uh, Je- uh, Je- Jeffrey comes out of, uh, comes out of the closet and he helps uh, uh, he helps Dorothy up and tr- tries to like talk to her and figure out like what's going on with Frank and her and, and this yeah. is where we learn about how Don and Donnie her son and, mm. and child have been kidnapped for her into essentially sex slavery yeah and is 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 that when is, 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 is that when her and Jeffrey have sex or is that the next time he goes over there there are moments of uh, tension mm. and like it 
seems like almost like the steps towards that yeah. happen. But no, 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 the, the, they they sleep together the next time. Right, yeah. Uh, he's there. Uh, the other po- point of important plot information there that, that's kind of dropped in there is that the ear is her husband's and yeah. that was, uh, it was a threat. And it's just, where I only throw that out there to be like, um, and at, oh, before the halfway point of the film, the whole mystery is tied up and everything is explained. Yeah. Um, and, and it is that thing of like, oh yeah, he was going to go investigate and find out and he went and did. But the thing he also found out is that uh, there's a rotting year in every garden, you know, that mm. there is darkness in the world that he refuses. But anyway. Yeah, so I think the, 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 this is when, uh, uh, this is when uh, Je- Jeffrey starts like following Frank around. Yes. And uh, yeah, so he, he, he follows him all over town. Uh, uh, he follows him to, to the club where he watches Frank watching Dorothy sing Blue Velvet. And, and this is the third time we hear it. Yeah. And uh, uh, this time we are largely watching Frank listen to it. Mm. And Frank is incredibly moved by a yeah. tear is welling in his eye. Another instantly iconic image, uh, at least to me. Mm. It's what I think about when I think of Frank Booth, which I want to be honest is not often. <laughs> I just want to. I just want to be straight up on that. You, you haven't got a uh, like a, a, a. I don't have a Frank Booth. I don't have a room where I go into and look at pictures of Frank Booth. Yeah, I don't have a Frank Booth. Booth from from from, from all the times that he was in Tiger Beat. I don't have a Frank Frank Booth Booth. <laughs> where I go into a very honest, honest room. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, and, and then he 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 follows Frank. Oh, uh, I just to, but oh. like when you hear her singing, but oh, this yeah. time it is it's not it it it's not the end of Portrait of a Lady on Fire <laughs> where you're like, oh, you're right. This is the most beautiful piece of music because look at Adele and not cry. Mm. It is like this is horrific. The song is the most heartbreaking thing ever because he is using it for his own emotional joy. Yeah, he is. He he wants the joy that we had the first time we heard it, but under his control. And it, like that he captures that naughty thing that Frank is the person who goes like this beautiful moment of art, I will trap it in amber yeah. and, and, and baby will want to fuck, you know, is I think just an astonishingly complex idea encapsulated like throughout the film, but in that moment in a way that is, is, is breathtaking and makes me want to never do anything creative. Like, you know, I I want to be clear. I will do things creative because getting a real job uh, does not work for me because I am lazy. Same. Yeah. And so uh, uh, he he, he eventually follows Frank and a bunch of his guys to a building, uh, just just like like a disused or like big brick building somewhere in the town. And he sits in his car the whole night watching them and spying on them and trying to figure out what they're up to. Yep. And he has, uh, uh, he's got like a camera but he's rigged up inside a shoebox and it is it's so yeah it's hardy boys yeah, it's, yeah. It's, he, he, he's, he's holding a string and he he pulls the string and it opens a shutter on the shoebox and clicks the camera it's great stuff um, and and so he but also it's great and pathetic yeah, and it, oh, yeah. it's just the, the thing I love most in any narrative is is m- moments that contain multiple levels of meaning and emotion simultaneously mm. and the sequence that is both charming and just utterly abjectly pathetic is high on that list. Yeah, and so he sees a couple of different people coming in and out of the building. One of them is a man who later turns out to be a detective Yeah, and one of them is a man with uh, uh, with, with suspiciously large uh, eyebrows and a moustache. Yeah. The man who turns out later to be a detective is the 
he calls him the yellow man because mm. he's wearing a yellow coat. Yeah. yeah, and and the eyebrows and moustache guy is called the well-dressed man. The next day, uh, Je- Jeffrey goes to uh, pick up Sandy from school yeah. to, to tell her about what he's been up to. But while he's there, uh, they're, they're, they're seen by Mike, yeah. who, is, uh, who, uh, who is Laura Dern's uh, football player boyfriend. Yeah. And I mean, uh, so she, she 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 gets in the car with Jeffrey, but she knows like, oh, we've been we've been busted now. Yeah. And they they go off together, and 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 Jeffrey starts telling her about what's what's going on, the the mystery that he's uncovering. Do do they do they 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 decide to go back to her apartment, right? Um. Uh. While he is what uh, it is. Um. Before this point, Jeffrey visits. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. uh Dorothy and sleeps with her yeah. in it, and and also somewhere in here he sees. Frank drug dealing, right? Uh, um, just to confirm, like, yeah, that, 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 that's in the scene where where Jeffrey's watching them. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, but it is, but yeah, Jeffrey starts a sadomasochistic, but seemingly consensual sexual relationship yeah. with Dorothy. Um, but she, like, it is, it is like there's a bit. It, 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 it's not entertaining. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. it's it's not secretary. Um, uh, the film secretary. Mm. Um, it it is this like there's so clearly a question put over it because like uh, Dorothy is so clearly a victim of circumstance and like she's she's a full real person with kind of some agency in the narrative but also like she has been hurt and it is wrong to sleep with her you know mm. under these circumstances yeah I think yeah. I'm a, but I'm a soy boy <laughs> um and 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 it's after that that he meets up with Sandy mm. and they're chatting and then Mike uh, uh, yells at them for talking from the field. Because well, he again, that's just me emphasizing my because he hears them talking and then yells at no, them. No, Mike, 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 Mike just sees them talking. He doesn't hear them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Then my microphone thing doesn't quite land. Yeah. Like, I, I'm, I, 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 if you just left it the first time you'd said that, yeah. I, I would I would have been fine to leave, but you brought it up again. So I I, thought, I, no, because yeah. I just remember him yell. like, I think he is, in my memory, he's responding to what they're talking about. But right. no, he's just, like, you're right. Um, uh, we'll just cut that and I'll do the whole thing again for Mike in Twin Peaks. Right, yeah. Which I also believe is a reference to microphone. Um, yeah, so, uh, so uh, okay, so, so when, when, uh, when Jeffrey goes over to, uh, uh, to Dorothy's house the 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 the, the third time yeah. when, when, when he sleeps for uh, as he's coming out uh, uh, Frank and his uh, goons are, are coming up yeah and uh, uh, and they, they they catch them together and uh, Frank's gang includes uh, Brad Dorif and Jack Nance and yep. then a bunch of other randoms and and Frank decides to uh, uh, kidnap uh, uh, Jeffrey and t- t- uh, take him and uh, uh, and Dorothy to, uh, to 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 his friend Ben's place. Ben played uh, by Dean Stockwell. Yep, Deanie Stocks. Yeah, um, who uh, seems to run something that's maybe may a brothel. Who can tell? Oh uh, yes. Yeah. I I I I think yes. Yeah. Uh, but, um. And and, and th- this is also where uh, uh, this is also where Dorothy's uh, husband and son are being held because she she goes into the she goes into the back room and you and you can hear her like talking to her son oh right yes yeah. yes I just thought for some reason I thought in my head that happened in the sawmill but I'm right. wrong um again things that have just been cut just inaccuracies not in the podcast yeah. um and yeah so and and and, uh, and 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 while they're at Ben's place uh Ben does uh, what 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 I think of as like the the most iconic part of this film but 100 percent yeah uh where he he picks up uh, uh he he picks up 
one of the two great sing- scenes in cinema where someone sings to a lamp. Yeah, where he 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 uh, he he picks up a lamp and they put on a cassette of In Dreams by Roy Orbison yeah. and Dean Stockwell in this like crazy like white pancake makeup and stuff like lip syncs to In Dreams. Uh, uh, yeah, using a working light yeah. uh, as a microphone, and it is beautiful mm. and brilliant, but also uh, so like crushingly threatening as well. Like, and like part of it is that now, like. Uh, Frank is there, this this painful vector of hatred, yeah. who who could do anything, but it is it is. Um, uh, uh, Jeff is there, being forced to watch a performance, like the performance he willingly watched before. And yeah, the context is is changed. Oh yeah, man, what a scene! And stop, like Stockwell will never buy another drink in his life because of this scene, right? At least I hope. I hope bars are full of people who've seen Blue Velvet <laughs> and recognise Dean Stockwell, and instead of being like, hey, you're in Sliders, they were like, hey, in Dreams, <laughs> Stockwell. It was, it was, I think also in that scene, um, uh, Frank, asked, uh, uh, Frank asked Jeffrey if he wants a beer, yeah. and uh, uh, like a couple times in the movie so far, we've seen Jeffrey drinking Heineken's, yeah. and he says, yeah, I'll have a Heineken, and Frank, well, he's just like, fuck Heineken. <laughs> And he's like, fuck Heineken, Pabst Blue Ribbon. It's all yeah. like Bud Light. It's one of those. And, yeah. I, and I'm sure if I lived in a world, uh, in, in a society where Pabst Blue Ribbon had cultural weight, I'm sure like I could be like, yeah, and that's about class. Yeah. But I don't know. Well, yeah, yeah. Because like Heineken is like European and stuff. But it's, yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's showing Jeffrey's like, he, he's, he's a bit of a fancy boy. Well, and he, it, he wants to be a fancy it, boy. It, it's the cheapest expensive beer. Yeah. Um, uh, so it is try it is it is both high and low class it is see you can just and the thing is because david lynch will never tell us we don't necessarily have to be wrong but but also fathoming me my favorite thing about fathoming meaning in david lynch's work is knowing that there definitely is one yeah like so much of the success of uh, his his abstract work is that you look at them and you're like and like so much of the success especially of twin peaks uh, and mulholland drivers looking at it and being like I don't get it, but there's something to get, you know? Like, yeah, I'm yeah. seeing bits of a map, and I know the whole map is there. Yeah, yeah, that's, like, exactly my thing with Lynch. I watched something, like, last year at Marion Bad, and I'm like, I don't get this, but also part of the pleasure of it is I don't think anyone can get it, and that's sort of the point. But, like... But, but like with, with something like Mulholland Drive, like I, I know people get Mulholland Drive, but I... And I, I look forward to spending yeah. a, let's say, five-hour-long podcast explaining it to you no, in detail. Yeah, yeah. And like, yeah, and there are so many things about Mulholland Drive that I love, but because I know that it can be gotten and I don't currently get it, it's sort of hard to like fully... Like, like I've seen that movie two or three times, and it's one of the few movies I haven't raced on Letterbox because yeah. I like I just don't know what I fully think of it. Um, but uh, absolutely, mm. and because and Lynch's refusal to give an authorial answer on what is right or wrong, yeah. means that everyone's interpretation is a equally valid and b different. Mm. So everyone sees a slightly different thing, but like it. I'm, okay, I say equally valid. If yeah. someone was like, you know what I think Blue Velvet is about, it's, it's a. It's a secret prequel to Futurama. <laughs> Can I hear you? It doesn't matter. I, I was going to say, it presages the Teletubbies, <laughs> you know? Um, oh, but even, like, you know, maybe. Anyway, no, it but, doesn't. But you understand. Uh, but yes, no. 
Um, but Frank uh, has the standard response to seeing Dean Stockwell do a lip sync of In Dreams, which is he just has a total flipping breakdown. Yeah, he 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 stops the cassette halfway through the song, and uh, and he starts uh, just, just shouting at people about like, "We're gonna go for a we're gonna go for a fucking joyride now! Yeah. You wanna come for a joyride? Uh, it's not good." And he he. He takes Brad Dourif and and Jeffrey and Dorothy out to the car and Jack Nance as well. Yeah. And uh, then he says uh, another one of the great lines in cinema. Let's fuck! I'll fuck anything that moves! <laughs> and then he does this insane laugh and there is, uh, an, in- then there is an incredible cut. Uh which like it's just like it's a standard like oh you 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 like cut to the person not being there but you leave the sound of them there yeah like like standard stuff it's done perfectly and it's so it's so chilling when he just disappears but you still hear his laughter and another thing and and i'm being aware that we we've passed two hours of recording (laughs) and not not and we had two thirds of the way through the first film um but uh, uh, so I'll save it for the Mulholland Drive uh, episode. But um, I, I just want to flag now that like uh, uh, part of like Lynch's technical mastery is that he no one I think is better at using jump cuts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as moments of ab- as like kind of jump scares as like frightening things. Yeah. Like it is, and, and like that expense to the whole technical range, the back masking to anyway. Well, but Mulholland Drive. Um, anywho, so they go for a ride <laughs> it's uh, uh this is when they go to the sawmill yard uh yeah and uh, uh some more not great stuff yeah uh, with yeah. Dorothy Fra- 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 yeah frank is just like getting more like just getting more and more deranged over the course of a car ride and then that, that they all get out of the car and he puts on the cassette of in dreams again uh, and then uh then he uh, beats the shit out of jeffrey and leaves him uh lying in the dirt like the important thing is that this is the first time Time, Jeffrey starts it. Mm. Jeffrey tries to stop him and hits him. Right, yeah. And then Frank retaliates, which is not me just saying that Frank is the good guy. It is the, it, it has taken this far. This is the moment that he decides to stand up and it, even then he he fails yeah. and he he he's limp and, and there's a great scene lit largely by torches of uh, Frank pulling him close and threatening him and Oh, it's good. Is that the love letter scene? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where Frank says, I'm going to send you a love letter straight from my heart. Uh, and he's talking about. Do you know what a love letter is? <laughs> it's a fucking bullet from a gun. Oh, it's <laughs> so ev- every line, every line that Frank Booth says is incredible, and is and in context is the just the most the the worst escalation of the situation. Yeah. You know, um, and, and like surprising but logical, but also oh, f- yeah, no, Frank Booth. But anyway, they knock. Well, Frank uh, uh, kisses. Uh, um, uh, fuck, I want to keep wanting to call Jeffrey. him Russ. He seems like a Russ, but Jeff um, uh, kisses Jeffrey. Oh, it's more of a headbutt, knocks him out unconscious. Mm. He wakes up the next morning and visits the police station to be like, guys, does, do you ever have the feeling you're in a David Lynch film? <laughs> because. Uh, 
uh, a guy at the classic bar just asked me if I wanted my dick sucked. Yeah, um, and he 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 uh, uh, he goes into Detective uh, Williams' office, and who's there but the man in yellow? Yep. Oh no, Detective Tom Gordon. It goes all the way to the top. It is Williams' partner, and uh, we yep. Uh, uh, and yeah, so, so, so then he goes to the party. Uh, yeah, this well, is the description of the dream. Wikipedia tells me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just we'll just go back in your memories, listeners, and rearrange stuff. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So uh, uh, so Je- Je- Jeffrey goes and picks up Sandy, and they're they're, they're going to go to a party at one of Sandy's friends' houses. And uh, w- while they're sitting in the car, uh, Sandy tells uh, Jeffrey about a dream she had. Uh, about the 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 world being full of uh, darkness and there being no love in the world until she sees a until she sees a robin because uh, the the robins represent love and that all disappeared and then a robin comes back and then like thousands of robins come back and the world is full of love again. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, and it then... doesn't mean anything. To- totally meaningless, but yeah, it sounds nice. They they go to the party and uh, and what's playing on the soundtrack? It's Mysteries of Love by Julie Cruz. Oh right, probably yeah. uh, like I. I Probably like my my pick for like a best pop song ever written for a film. Yeah. So on 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 the way back from the party, uh, they're, 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 they're chased by a car, and yeah. Jeffrey's like, "Oh no, it's Frank. He's coming to kill me." Yeah. And uh, I I'm I I feel like I've messed up the order. Is this actually when this happens? Yes. Yeah. No. No. It is. I'm right. I'm correct. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, uh so yeah, he, he he thinks Frank's chasing him, and they they start trying to outrun them. Uh, and then, uh, then Sandy realizes that it's it's uh, it's it's Mike's car. Yeah. And they stop and and pull over. And Mike gets out and he tries to fight Jeffrey. Uh, but just as they're about to fight, uh, who appears behind them? But uh, Dorothy, uh, naked and uh, beaten up. Yeah. Uh, is she a poor taste MTV challenge show? Because she is naked and afraid. <laughs> They usher her inside, which is to say, well, they, they 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 get her into the car. I mean, I mean, drive her to Sandy's place. Oh right, yeah, because I yeah yeah yeah, yep. I, yeah. I, I forgot about that trip. Yeah, and, and Jeffrey like runs over to 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 her, and she like collapses into his arms, and you get a cut to Sandy being like, uh, "What the fuck's going on?" And, and um. Mike doesn't come with them just to yeah. just to just to put you don't have to worry about yeah, Mike no, Shaw that, being that's, there that's for the rest a, of the that's, that's a serious rap on Mike. <laughs> uh, while at Sandy's place, uh, uh, she uh, uh, Dorothy is being like everything is fucked. This this sucks, and but she's she's also still like naked and clinging on to Jeffrey, and and she, she's trying to like get some like sort of affection from him, but because Jeffrey is. Like standing in front of Sandy, yeah, uh, he he cannot he cannot do that. But Sandy still like realizes what's been happening between the two of them. Because uh, it, it's because um, Dorothy gets more and more desperate to kind of like squeeze affection out of yeah. him, and eventually reveals she calls him "You're my lover" or something right, like right. that, or "My secret lover" or "My secret guy." Mm. Uh, and, and, and so Laura Dern uh, g- gives. Jeff a good old backhander. Yeah. And as like, she also does a great crying face. Yeah. Uh it's yeah, oh, so it's just, it's real good. Yeah. So that they 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 uh they call an ambulance to to uh to take Dorothy away to the hospital. Yeah. Uh, which, and Je- Jeffrey goes with her. Uh and then is is that when he uh, oh no, okay. So I think it's it's before it's before then it's 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 before they go to the party that that uh, uh, that Jeffrey tells uh, Detective Williams about how his partner is is working with Frank. No, uh, mm-hmm. it, it it is. Um 
after Sandy slaps him, All Jeff right. is like, tell your dad everything. Oh, okay. And then right, right. he goes alone to Dorothy's apartment. Yes, yeah. Um, uh, where he finds... Uh, he finds uh, d- uh, he finds uh, Dorothy's husband uh, has been uh, shot in the head. Yep. He's got a he's got part of uh, Dorothy's blue dress uh, stuffed in his mouth. Uh, uh, and and uh, and the corrupt detective is also there. Yeah, the yellow man. Yeah. yeah. And so what's so he's got a, he's got a big old bit of his brain showing. Yep. What's happened to him? I I think um, Frank was trying. I, I I think it is a, a Frank like Frank was trying to teach a lesson to Dorothy because. He's an educator. Uh, and so sent the yellow man to kill the husband in front of her. And somehow either the husband or Dorothy has a gun. And essentially a, a, a wacky calamity occurred where um, they managed, they someone tried to shoot the yellow man and it injured but didn't kill him. Yeah. And then managed to shoot the husband. And then that is why Dorothy panicked, has gone to Jeff. Okay. We but we don't yeah. like yeah, it's, it. It's the details of that event are deliberately ambiguous. Right. Yeah. 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 And yeah. So so he 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 he, he walks into Dorothy's apartment. He sees the husband uh, uh, tied to a chair, shot over head, and he sees the the he sees the he sees the yellow man with a giant hole in his skull. Yeah. And brain poking out, blood all down himself, and just sort of standing like rocking back and forth because uh, he has no real brain function anymore. But he's not dead. Yeah. And Je- Jeffrey. Uh, is trying to look around, seeing seeing what uh, there is to find, and he realizes that uh, no, everyone is uh, pretty much fucking dead. So he uh, he leaves. Yeah. But as he's walking as he's walking down the stairs, he sees uh, uh, he sees the the well dressed man coming up the stairs. He realizes that it's Frank. He runs back inside, uh, and he's trying to hide from Frank. And he gets the radio. Yeah. He's radioing Detective Williams uh, to say uh, Frank's coming up after me. Uh, but he gives and, the wrong location. Well, yeah, yeah. And, and as he's doing it, he really realizes well, no I shouldn't be talking on the radio Frank has a radio as well and then he's like oh what if I use the radio to trick him yeah and so he he yeah he, he purposely um, uh, gives incorrect information saying that he's hiding in the back room and then leaves the radio back there turned on and then goes and hides back in the closet he was in yeah the first time to the second time he was at Dorothy's apartment and he ambushes Frank and kills him with yep. the yellow man's gun yeah one of the two great scenes in cinema where a uh, 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 where a person is killed with a gunshot in a closet. And the other... Oh, right. Uh, um, uh, and Bernie. Yeah. Bernie after Rito. Bernie after Rito. It's good. If you if you like seeing um, George Clooney yeah. shooting in the head, or is it Malkovich? No, it's Clooney. It's, it's Clooney. Because um, uh, after, after, after that shot, we see like... Like like dying like that. You got the, the cut to Clooney where he just sort of like slumps down. Yeah, I think we should bleep the name of the person yeah. who gets shot because that's a pretty big spoiler. I'm the person who shoots them. No, I feel like the mm. moment Clooney is like I have an itchy, like it's a recurring thing about oh, yeah. how he shoots too quick. So like you can work out that Clooney shoots. Like if you're watching a film with Clooney in it and he doesn't shoot someone, you know? Yeah. Like my favorite part of Good Night and Good Luck was when he was like, I am a mild mannered and supportive. Uh, a studio director of this news broadcast, but the only way I can get through that is that every night um, I hire... I, I, I execute an intern. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's better than what I was going to say, which is I buy an animal and shoot it. That character's named Fred Friendly. Not yes. very friendly when you know about what he does to interns <laughs> slash animals. 
Uh, then uh, the Detective Williams has got the news from both Sandy and Jeff. They lead a raid on Frank's headquarters. Yeah, uh, well, Frank Schoons and a bunch of police officers uh, get shot. Uh, yeah, they 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 kill his men, and then Jeff and Sandy live happily ever after, absolutely untainted by the darkness. And it's just an unambiguously good thing. The end, I yep. guess. Right. Hooray. Um, uh, no, and Dorothy is reunited with Don Jr. Yeah. And, and Little Donnie, sorry. Don Jr. is a product of a much more twisted mind. Yeah. And then, yeah. So, yeah. After after Frank is dead and everything's okay, it's back to good old bright, happy suburbia where Jeffrey's out like, like lying on a lawn chair and is basking in the sun. And uh, Sandy comes down and is like, oh, Jeffrey, lunch is ready. And it's the uh, Total reestablishment of uh, of all our traditional values. Everything's back to normal and good. We, and then they they go inside, and there's a robin in a tree, and they all look at the robin for a while. Where do you stand on the everything after the headbutt is a dying dream theory of uh, Blue Velvet? I think uh, anytime uh, someone says that about a movie, okay. Every time someone says that about a movie, I will admit most of the time it is lazy. We are talking about a David Lynch film, though. Yeah, well, I think even with a Lynch film, that 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 seems like that seems like a like a kind of lazy interpretation. You are going to get very angry at me in our Mulholland Drive episode, then. Um, uh, but, I, but, but, but 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 like. Like Vera Pazmal, Holland Drive, but like explicitly someone's dream is they're dying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm, 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 I would say ninety to hundred yeah. minutes of the film. Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm, I'm fine yeah. with that interpretation of Mulholland Drive. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I just don't think there's anything in Blue Velvet to support that. Really, I'm, I'm I, yeah, and I bring it. It is the thi- like absolutely. It's horses for courses, and, and Blue Velvet does not introduce it as a technique. And I don't a hundred percent. It's not my reading. Yeah, but there is something interesting that the resolution of this film is. It's the resolution of the Boy Scout version of the story. Yeah. He gets the girl, he shoots the drug dealer, you know, only the husband is dead, got his son back. They all live happily ever after, and obviously it is complex because he has seen and been tainted by the darkness. Yeah, and, and the very fact that he is rejecting that does not all go well mm. for for Jeffrey or for us because we are the same. Mm. I, I think, uh, uh, like David Lynch likes embodying things, <laughs> and uh, I think he often will have a character who is literally the audience, and I think Jeffrey is right. This yeah. time. Um, but that is all my reading. Um, so Finn, then Blue Velvet plays for a fourth time. Yes. And it's the end credits happen. I, Finn, David Lynch's Blue Velvet open brackets, 1986 close brackets. Do you think it is shy or sound? Uh, I think it is sound. I I think it is. super sound. I think it is hard sound. Yeah. And I would like, obviously we'll move on to Twin Peaks. Fire, work with me in a second. But I just want to point out, 1986, Blue Velvet happens. The way forward for how do we make media that responds to the current state of media in many ways is, is forged. And there's one piece left and spurred by the release of, of Blue Velvet in 1986 is the release of an equally important work of art in 1987, Euthydine. Mm. I just want to put that out. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but David Lynch will never tell me. And do you remember those tweets? I think they possibly are fake that he did, which is um, I this weekend I will experiment with whether I'm connected to the moon. Right, yeah, yes. And yeah. then his next tweet is, I think I am connected to the moon. Yeah. <laughs> and it is like, I think, like, 
He could lo- like that could be made up, but it's also mm. good. Hey Finn, yes, you've we both agree that film is sound as as hell. Yes, of, of fucking Blue Velvet. You there? I'm in the fucking tank for you. <laughs> Do you want to hear the perspective of someone who thought it was maybe not good? Yeah, I'd love to. Do you want to hear a half star review from Letterboxd? Yeah. This is about before you say yes. Okay. This was posted the first day of this year, the January first, in the the year of our Lord. Um, Ellie Yelichakolner. That's a, uh, a good start to a year. To to to, to like. <laughs> Like like la, 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 last year, maybe it was this year. No, no uh, in in 2020, the 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 first one I watched, uh, uh, the first one I watched on January 1st, 2020, uh, was a Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning, <laughs> and Good. like that, that's all like set the tone for the rest of the year. You know? I, I'm you, 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 it's it's very important to choose like a to, to 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 like choose the right movie to watch on on the first of January. Oh, I I, I stand as the opposite. Like I, I I acknowledge and think that is valid, but I I am the opposite. I'm always I. Think I think the the most interesting films are the last films you watch in the year. Yeah. Uh, as I discuss, I've discussed on this podcast in the past. But before you agree, consider all these things. This went up first of this year, mm. and it is by Rat Rentastic. Of course. Okay. Hmm. This is a half star review. Blue Velvet. In my humble opinion, it's good. He's humble. <laughs> Fuck. Feels like a film any film student can, will, and probably has made. Do you hear that, all film students? All the films you've ever made, Blue Velvet. The only difference is Blue Velvet is highly regarded. You hear that, film students? All of the films you've made are Blue Velvet, but lowly regarded. (laughs) And some consider it as the peak of cinema, as you do. It is, in its core, an overly acted and badly delivered piece of cinema. The story is so damn basic, it blows my mind how people like this. I don't see it one bit. Not a single line of dialogue felt organic. They're so awkward, like, you know film students actors especially Laura Dern's delivery she whispers all her lines just speak up woman (laughs) on to my next point (laughs) (laughs) this is the second of three paragraphs Supposedly, David Lynch always creates these universes with a lot of mixed aesthetics, such as the 70s and 80s. What's so funny to me, if a film nowadays does this mixed, as, does this mixed aesthetics, they're criticised and looked down on because they've messed up. What I'm saying is, these mixes of styles feel unintentional to me. A mistake by the set designer or David Lynch himself. But hey, it's David Lynch. He's a genius. He meant to do that. It's supposed to be a dream. Brackets. Ugh. Watching any picture by David Lynch will become a pain in the ass from now on. (laughs) I've only watched Mulholland Drive so far. And yeah, yeah, I get my knowledge of his work. I I get my knowledge of his work is weak. And I need to see more of his films to get his filmography. But do you realize how ridiculous that sounds? It's so David Lynch's everyone puts David Lynch's on a pedestal. I mean, it's good to have several David Lynch's. Um, for some reason, and I don't get it. I agree with this review. It is ridiculous to ask someone who is making sweeping judgments about a filmmaker's oeuvre to watch more than two of their films. I think, and I quote, I understand what he says. Yeah, yeah, I realise how ridiculous that sounds. I I, I just love the idea that someone watched this movie 
and they saw all of the like specifically 1950s design elements like all the cars are from the 50s and oh okay and, and it's like and like the, the, the use of like of 1950s music and 1950s hairstyles and just like and all of that and it's like, this seems like a mistake i i think someone i think someone did a boo-boo on set uh, yeah, and I cannot. Yeah, I, I, my response to that review is I, I, um, I understand. I, I understand why people don't like David Lynch. Yeah, but I understand them in a way where it is like I love bread. You know? Yeah, it's tasty. And there are people who are celiac who can't have bread, mm. and I feel bad for them. Yeah. And then there are people who are just like I just don't like bread and. Fuck those people. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, that's how I feel about that review in terms of David Lynch. Now, let's play a quick game. Rat Rantastic. Top four on Letterboxd. I think you can get all four of these. They're pretty big targets. Right. One is, uh, it, it's not the best film of 2019, but it is my favorite. Oh, um, oh, okay. Uh, 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 Parasite. No, the other one. Uh, portrait. Yeah, yeah. Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Uh, 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 it's a film about some great blokes. Good fellas. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is. Um. It's an animated film. It is possibly the only actually vital use of 3D in cinema. It's an adaptation of a book that does oh, not oh, help oh, with animation. Yeah. Oh, I know. Okay. Is it the. Sorry. So it's again? Animated film. Animated film. It's adapted from a book. Adapted from a book. It doesn't really help. And it's probably the only. It is the only film, I think, where like you actually lose something not seeing it in 3D. I have not seen Billy Lynn or Gemini Man in 3D. Like, it, 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 it feels like it's kind of. Right there. It's a like, John Hodgman joint. He's in there. Oh, well, Co Coraline. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the last one is uh, 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 a poster on every comedy nerd's wall. British. The big ones. You talk, you're talking to a comedy nerd. They like British comedy. Who do they like? Uh, 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 is, is it an Edgar Wright film? Or, or no, like, no, no, no. Like, co like comedy. Co like, no, Edgar Wright films are funny, but like, you know, comedy. These are comedians. They're a group of comedians. A British group of oh, comedians. Oh, oh uh, 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 Monty Python, Holy Grail. Correct. Yeah. Hey, Finn. Yeah. I got a question for you. Okay. Is it future or is it past? Uh, future. Uh, yeah, because uh, though we were just chatting about old Blue Velvo, for listeners at home, um, uh, uh, seconds ago, but, but moments in time, for us it mm -hmm. has been... 48 of your human hours or eat less no it's been like 32 hours <laughs> 32 hours I don't know time is an illusion yeah because um, it turns out we have a lot to say about the films of David Lynch um, but I think that's an, a thing worth pointing out <laughs> uh, our voices might sound a little different and I also want to uh, in that time an event occurred to me um, which is uh, I was uh, in a stadium full of people because lockdown measures were um, uh, uh, watching a graduation event for a tertiary uh, institution, just I just love to go. Yeah, it is. It's just a fun. It's a fun outing. I there is nothing I like better than three and a half hours of names being listed. I was with a couple of other people because it's always just good to take friends, <laughs> come hang out at a graduation, uh, and we were surrounded by uh, uh, an extended friend and family group uh, uh, of someone. And you know, graduations mm. people call out when their person walks. Uh, uh, across 
And I just have to say that like that 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 is not an issue to me. The issue to me was that at the moment that that person crossed the stage, um, being surrounded by thirty people suddenly instantly yelling uh, and just screaming. Um, and, and to be clear, for a good, I'm not saying they shouldn't have done this, but you know, just instant animal fight or flight <laughs> reflexes, where your brain is just instantly flooded with adrenaline. Yeah, and you're like, fuck, this is horrifying because it just like from within one like quarter of a second to my senses war was starting and and the reason I bring that up is is because I don't think there is anywhere better that that kind of feeling of terror is captured now when it is like it's not fear that is intellectual you're not like I'm overthinking this dark alleyway or um, you know violence occurs in the world so it may occur to me where it is just like like the jumpiest of scares better than the work of David Lynch and I think maybe better uh, maybe within that his best examples of that are in Twin Peaks Fire work Work with with me me. (laughs) I'm glad we remembered that (laughs) In the cold light of Wednesday. Um, but uh, of, of these two films, I prefer Blue Velvet. You prefer Fire Work With Me. Yeah. Tell me about Fire Work With Me. Like, um, oh, I don't know, enough mm. to fill a bit of a, po- a podcast. Well, we well, should, is it worth doing, to, doing a bit of Twin Peaks chat? Yeah. To, so Twin Peaks, pretty obscure TV show. Yeah, not, not, not sure no one's ever heard of it. Um, uh, 18- it's, from, it's from the 90s. Well, it started in the yeah, 80s, yeah. Yeah, it, yes. yeah the, the, the pilot was in, the, was in 89. Um, but like the interest, yeah, Twin Peaks, uh, 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 a woman is murdered uh, um, and, and she's found dead wrapped in plastic by Jack Nance yep. uh, from Eraserhead in the sleepy town of Twin Peaks. And the thing I like about Twin Peaks is that uh, there's not a creepy underbelly to it. <laughs> no. Just uh, uh, everything's nice. Everyone's having a good time in this picturesque little northwestern town. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. There's, not, there's nothing hiding in those woods. <laughs> oh, man. There is the other thing, David. Like, everyone is like, David Lynch loves people driving down roads at night with scenes only by headlights. And that is true. But that is that undersells his real obsession, which is ominous photos of trees, <laughs> ominous imageries of trees. Yeah. It's like, there's genuinely nothing, I think. Like, you know how we talk about that the most alarming thing in a film is when you know exactly what the director is masturbating to. <laughs> I'm very sure that the David, the the part of that that is true of David Lynch is every time you see a tree ominously rustle. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, uh, the sheriffs investigate, and it's connected to a previous uh, 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 killing. Yeah, of a, of of a woman called Teresa Banks. Yeah, and so the FBI is called in. Yeah, and uh, who is? It's Carl Locklow. Carly yeah. Locks is Agent Dale Cooper. Um, and, and this guy, he's a bit of a character. Yeah, he loves coffee. He loves pie. Uh, he spends a lot of time solving crimes with dreams and just like getting people to throw stones at a collection of like cans or whatever he's set up. Yeah, and talking about Tibet. Um, it's and and, and to be clear, it's not like very quickly the. 
the 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 original pilot, the ninety minute pilot, was released overseas as a film. Yeah, where they tacked on an ending where Dale Cooper had a dream, where a ba- a backmasked talking short man, the man from another place, was like. I know who killed Laura Palmer and then he goes and solves it and it's just over and I only say and it's a much less satisfying version of it but it is like the cinematic legacy of Twin Peaks is uh, is baked into it from the very beginning yeah. even beyond the fact that one of its two creators is is David Lynn in the international version of a pilot is, is it the same is, is it the same killer because so much of the joy of Twin Peaks is about uh, the mystery of it and then the mystery of what you do after you solve a mystery. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, the the alternate ending, the extended, the film version of the first episode, does reveal who did it, but also doesn't. It reveal. Uh, we can talk. Let's talk. We're right. going to talk about Bob. Yeah. Uh, um, Bob is an evil force from the dawn of time. Uh, well, slash uh, the first nuclear test in 1945. Um, but he's kind of a primal thing. Yeah. Um, who in the series is able to possess different people, and it's through that that he killed Laura Palmer. But in the original version, uh, it's just Bob. The one-armed man shows up, Mike, and is like, uh, "Check in the basement. There's an evil guy there." And Bob is there, Frank oh, okay. Silver, just being like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah, hey, it's me." Okay, I, I did it. Um, yeah, but, that that sounds much less satisfying. It, it because so much of it is. Um, Cooper having the dream that went on to be incorporated in the series and then the final scene of it is you will see me again in 25 mm. years and then whispering something in his ear like it is you know it's still David Lynch and Mark Frost executing yeah. it so so it kind of lands but also like as much as people can be drawn into uh, Twin Peaks as a psychedelic mystery of uh, inexplicable and cosmic proportion. It is also both a sitcom and soap opera set in a charming town full of wacky and delightful characters with uh, haircuts that range from 1920 to 1950. Yeah. And just all universally... Thing I know, I rewatching the thing I noticed the most is just universally incredible cheekbones. This is yep. like there is something in the water of of. of I think mean, there, there is definitely an argument to be made, but like, but 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 Twin Peaks has like maybe the most attractive cast of a TV show ever. I I I I don't uh, I, no, I, I don't know how to make. I, I I'm not disagreeing with you. Mm. But I think it, I think it is the Spike Lee to Five Bloods thing is that I don't think any work has found its cast hotter if you know yeah, what I yeah. mean. Like there there and because like uh, I will not focus on the return even though I just watched it again and all I can think about is that eighteen hours of just uh, oh all star filmmaking <laughs> just incredible. Um, uh, but like even in that, when it is in universe twenty five years later, in the real world thirty years mm. later, you know time is not kind to 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 many people, including mm. them. You know the ten cast members who are dead. Yeah. Um, but they all still they still look so hot, you know. And, and that is because I think the show and the people making the show love them. Yeah. You know. But yeah, no, it is it is magnetic. Like one of the things that marked it out at the time is like its film quality visuals 
which now it seems kind of ridiculous. But when you look at it, it's just because like, cause it looks like TV, but then you're like, Oh no, it's because TV looks like twin peaks. Yeah. Like I love a lot about the X files, but the pilot of the X files, which if I was in a bad mood, I would be like the problem with the X files is that it's, it's the Sherlock problem is that it is never as good again as it's pilot. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, is kind of like, let's do twin peaks. But what if instead of, Oh, let, to broadly say the supernatural <laughs> is uh, um, uh, it was aliens and alien abductions and the reason people were levitating in spotlights in 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 British Columbian woods was because of um, aliens as opposed to you know kind of animas or <laughs> you know tulpas yeah. or embodiments of human ideals. Um, but the first season, which is only seven episodes, does it uh, incredibly well and understandably so, using the investigation into the, the murder. And so then the second season starts, and uh, it's an international phenomenon. And um, but everyone wants to know who kills Laura Palmer. Yeah, and then people at the like network was it on ABC. I believe so. Yeah. Yes. People at ABC are like, "Hey, David, Mark, you gotta, you gotta fucking wrap up this mystery because people want to know what it is." When they had co- sort of conceived a show as you don't find out really. Well, yeah, no, and like especially to David Lynch, like because I, I don't know, it is just there's just a bigger body of text as to yeah. how to engage with with David Lynch, but like Mark Frost is also a key voice yeah. in the show. Um. And, we're like, yeah, the point is we don't know. Like, and the point is uh, uh, a show Lynch talked about a lot and there are a lot of references to is The Fugitive, um, the original Fugitive. He wasn't like, in four years, Harrison Ford will make a film, um, which is, of course, about chasing a one-armed man who has all the answers. Right. Um, and, and, like, the whole point of that is that finding the one-armed man and answering the mystery was, like, the way you get people to watch the show, but the moment you solve it, the show is over. Yeah. But, so, ABC were like, nah, but you do, you do have to, though. And eight to ten episodes, it's, yeah. it's an arc. Yeah. yeah, I think it's, like, like episode nine in season two, they... They 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 reveal who Laura Laura Palmer's killer was. Yeah, it turns out it was Bob. Yeah, um, because we shouldn't like. Oh, we are about to discuss Firewalk with yeah. me. So if, if 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 you haven't seen if you haven't seen Twin Peaks, uh, you should you should do that. I yeah, and if you well, and like I I did go into Twin Peaks knowing who the killer was, and maybe it makes it like a slightly lesser experience, but it doesn't make it like a bad experience. Yeah, and also like pause the pause the now four hour long podcast here like opinions vary on the second season of twin peaks especially after the murder is revealed it becomes very much about a soap opera yeah um lynch and to a lesser extent frost leave the show and it is run by other people Mm. and it's full of uh it goes from being a david lynch show to a show that is trying to be a david lynch show and there's lots of stuff in it where you're like "Uh, doesn't you know Mm. Uh, it it reveals that lynchianness is is like pornography and that you can tell it when you see it you know there's a uh, like five episode long yellow face gag i lots lots of lots of crazy stuff in there that, but that's while David Lynch and Mark Frost oh, is, were is there. It? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's 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 the first five episodes. Is it? Oh, right, it is. Yeah, Jesus. yeah, yeah. Um, that 
Yeah, it, it's still a TV show from 1990. Yeah. There are things in it that you would not immediately do today. But I also think, and I think that the yellow face thing is making a point about the racism of the town. Yeah. But also, like, it's a very white town. Yeah, there's, there's one Native American guy who, yeah. whose name is Hawk. Which is, ooh, hmm. Yeah, and then there's also Joan Chen. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, as uh, Josie. Yes, Packard. That's right. I want to say Josie Crawford. I don't know why. Um, who, whose sister's name might be Judy. Um, uh, uh, who might actually just be Judy. Um, uh, uh, there's a... But, yeah, the first season of Twin Peaks is kind of unimpeachable television. Any, like, just go watch it. Watch up until the murderer is revealed. <laughs> watch the next episode, and if you're like, nah, like, just then watch Firewalk With Me and then come back. Well, also the, the, the like, finale. Oh, right, yes, of course. Because yeah. um, uh, revealing the mystery... Uh, wounded the show in every way uh, and it began to hemorrhage ratings uh, like so many of Bob's victims um, and uh, it became kind of clear that the show was going to be cancelled yeah. or at least not come back immediately and so Lynch and Frost got together and did um, a finale which just goes full in on the dreams of it and ends on uh, an incredible cliffhanger yeah which is yeah i love that cliffhanger i love it so much it's so terrifying um uh, it, it kind of yeah it, it spits in your face a lot it, it, in a way where you're like yes this is good spit thank you um but yeah then it was it was cancelled and so david lynch finished up wild at heart Oh, right, yeah. Which is what he left to do during the second half of the second season. Right. Um, and was like, ah, I, I still want to spend time in this world. I still want to hang out with these people. Yeah. I, and most specifically, he wanted to hang out with Laura Palmer. Yeah, because like the, the, the entire show was like built around like the absence of Laura Palmer and yeah. what her what her death does does to this town and it, it's all about people like trying to define her and trying to like tell her story for her mm. and lynch realizes that like that can't work like you 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 can't know someone just by like looking at how other people see them and so he makes this film to give cheryl lee the actress who played laura palmer to, to like give her a proper opportunity to actually play this character yeah as like a person rather than just like a corpse in a bag. Well, yeah, and every time you see her within the show proper, within the mm. television series, she is either she's a memory of Laura Palmer. Yeah. She's never really been Laura Palmer. Um and Mark Frost wasn't involved in the film because he wanted to make a sequel. And David Lynch's pitch was, let's do, okay, my first pitch is let's make a film called Ronnie Rocket. He's It's about a red man who's, uh, what is it, three feet tall and can control electricity. <laughs> and then yet again, if you don't know about, I will not dwell on this. Mm. If you don't know about Ronnie Rocket, Ronnie Rocket has been the next film David Lynch is going to make literally since Eraserhead. Oh, okay. And Sounds batshit crazy about a three foot tall um, robot who can control the electricity. Uh, like e every actor he's made more than one work with has been attached at some point to being running Rocket. Um, yeah. Anyway, like apparently a large 
like an element of this making the straight story was him being like, I kind of want a big mainstream hit so I can get a blank check right. to make Ronnie Rocket. And it feels like the kind of thing he'll eventually do. Mm. Um, but anyway, <laughs> uh, so he with Robert Engels, who was another writer on Twin Peaks, okay. um, uh, they, they conceived of yeah a prequel film. The Last Seven Days of Laura Palmer's Life. Yeah. Um, which is literally what it was called in some countries. Yeah. A lot of the cast did not want to return because they were like, can't just abandon us and then come back. Mm. And Carl McLaughlin was very worried about being typecast yeah. as Dale Cooper, which um, I understand. But, but like, there, there, are, there are worse things to get typecast as. And he is, like, yeah, well, you're about to tell me the story of Twin Peaks Fire. Work with me. Fire, come on. Um, but, like, the one thing that I push against in it every time I see it is that it feels very obvious to me that, like, Carl McLaughlin was there for two days. Yeah. And he should, maybe, maybe five, you know? And he should either, like, there is the plot that is obviously supposed to be his plot that is given to other people mm. um and, and there's another and like he's great in it but you kind of want him or to not have him and that it tr- attempts to split the difference is my issue with the film but it's right. not a big issue um so that that's the groundwork the world is like oh finally some answers about twin peaks the this great mystery i cannot wait for clear cogent answers in this mystery <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, Lynch decides uh, that he doesn't want to... I mean, Lynch does what he always does. He says, I I'm, I don't want to give you the answers that you that you want me to give you, but I'm going to, like, I'm going to, uh, like, complexify everything and make everything, uh, like, a stranger. And now that he's, like, working outside of the bounds of television, he can uh, do uh, so much more upsetting things. Well, and explaining anything is anathema to him. Have you read Lynch? on Lynch? Uh, no, I haven't. Uh, I haven't. Uh, it's good. Mm. Um, a, a, a lot of it is in the form of conversations with the author. Uh, uh, the other author. Not It's not David. It's not it's- Iowade on Iowade. Um, and a lot of that is talking to Lynch and kind of coaxing explanations out of him because he hates it. And at the end, there is a story which I kind of hope is either exaggerated or apocryphal. <laughs> where David Lynch says that after talking so much about his process and work, he felt the need to check himself into a sexual violence crisis centre. Oh, God. Yeah, I know. But also, like, yeah, we know he's not an entirely balanced man. Mm. Um, And, like, I think the key point of that story is that it's not inconceivable for David Lynch to respond to the idea of explaining his thinking beyond the explaining he does in the work to that degree. Anyway. So I'm sat down. Oh, I'm so excited to find out more about Wyndham Earl. Yep. More about, uh, I don't know, the other crazy shit that all the boring Bobby stuff. All the all those bits where 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 James gets on his motorcycle and goes and gets caught up in like a murder mystery, yeah, in, in like yeah. in like an actual soap opera plot line. But like that is, but it where is jo- all Joan Chen turns into a doorknob or something. But anyway, so. This film immediately says, like, we're not going to give you uh, anything you want and does that by opening on static. Yeah. Uh, and you, you see all the, the credits come up over over television static. Then out of nowhere, uh, you get an axe through the TV. And a, sc- and a woman's scream. This ain't your daddy's Twin Peaks. 
This isn't TV. We can do crazy shit now. Uh, yeah. and, and then... Uh, and, and, and to be clear, Twin Peaks, uh, a show about uh, sexual violence, drug abuse, underage... This movie is much more explicit about all of those things. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and so uh, I'm just saying, like, oh yeah, the jump yeah. is still huge, but it it's not like someone getting off the ground onto a trampoline. It is like someone putting on a rocket pack yeah. at the top of a cliff. <laughs> yeah. So there's the extra for TV, and then we hear the then we hear the murder of Teresa Banks. Uh, I mean, her 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 body is found wrapped in plastic in a river in North Dakota. Then we see Gordon Cole, who is the character that David Lynch plays in the universe, where yep. he's uh, the like FBI field director for a certain part for like certain parts of the country. Yep, David Lynch playing the director of the investigation into this murder. Yep, in the show, the character of Gordon Cole mostly exists just to hit on the character played by Imagine Amick. It's like that's most of what he does. I mean, there's one really good episode of that. I would yeah. say that th- I would say that 49%, I think 10% is literally David Lynch putting himself in the show yeah. to be like, "No, idiots, look at this. <laughs> I the director, I'm literally <laughs> shouting, shouting at, at you." you. And he has he has an uh, uh, even then old style hearing aid. Yeah. Um. So he's always shouting and doing like sixties sitcom misunderstanding <laughs> jokes. Yeah. Um. It, it'd be like, "Where are you going? Oh, where are you going, Coop? I've just been to Myanmar. My mother, she's dead. <laughs> like it's it's on that level. It um it, it, it's great and charming. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, he he uh, uh, so he he's heard about the murder and he and he calls in a uh, uh, he calls in special agent Chester Desmond, yeah, uh, played by Chris Isaac, to go to the town of Deer Meadow and look into the death. And but how does he do that? By shouting. Well, no, he he he's like get on get on a plane, oh, come well, meet right, me at an right, airport. Yes, yes. Uh, introduces him to uh, the person he'll be investigating with, who is of course played by Donald S. Utherland's son, Kiefer S. Utherland. Um, uh, and uh, as as special agent Sam Stanley. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, Gordon is like, oh yeah, we've got a, a murder. Uh, Teresa Banks, investigate it. But also, like, oh, I've got I've got a surprise for you. And then <laughs> and then a, a woman wearing a red dress walk, and a red wig, yeah, walk, walk, walks out from behind a plane at the at the hangar, and uh, she does uh, a a weird dance, makes a lot of faces. Then they like get in the car and uh, dr- drive off. And what while while they're in the car, Kiefer Sutherland says, uh, so what what the fuck was all that about? <laughs> yeah. Why was this woman going rah, rah, and yeah. spinning around and, and Agent Desmond says, Well, that's some uh really cool code that we've invented here at the FBI. Yeah, it, it, it. Um, yeah, it, that was simply David Lynch pointing out to the investigators of Laura Palmer's murder that he speaks in a, a clear code. Uh, uh, and But there's no two levels to read that in. But it is like she's stomping her feet, so there's going to be a lot of legwork. She's squeezing her hand into a fist, so it means that the local authorities will be um, antagonistic. Yeah. And, and like the... This like her her her, her dress her, her, her dress has been like her, has has been like obviously like tailored and taken in for her. Yeah. 
So I can't, I can't remember what that one means. I think it means drugs. Oh, right. Yes, yes. Yeah, it means And drugs. she's making a sour face. And there's other. There's like three other things. Yeah, and, and, and she's also, the, 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 the last thing is that she's wearing a blue rose on her lapel. Which Sam didn't, which Sutherland did not notice. Chris Isaac had to point it out. And, and then so Sam Stanley is like, what does that mean? He's like, I can't tell you, mysterious, mysterious, yeah. mysterious. Um, and so they arrive in this town. Called Deer Meadow, which is basically just like an inversion of Twin Peaks. It's it's the, it's the Twin Peaks town, but everyone is uh, angry. All, all the police officers are like obstructionist assholes rather than like our charming friends. The, the, the diner that they go to is like disgusting and basically serves slop and it's badly lit and everyone's rude there and yeah it's it's just for like shithole it's it's the it's the shithole version of twin peaks it, it, it's the like honest version of twin peaks and uh so while, while they're there they go to uh, uh, uh they go to the trailer park yeah. where where Teresa banks lived uh, which is run by harry dean stanton yeah what like are you ever made to see harry dean stanton no. i'm not no we'll, we'll love harry dean stanton and uh, so they, they they walk around the the trailer park for a bit. They sort of find some stuff out. Yeah, oh, they they yeah. find her trailer. Yeah, they look in her trailer and they see uh, a photo of her pin that she's put up. Right. Yeah. Uh, where she's wearing a mysterious ring. Yeah, it's a it's a gold ring with a green um with, yeah with, with like a green like stone in it with a uh, with a weird rune uh, rune carved into it. It. Yeah, yeah, uh, um, which is a rune we've seen elsewhere. Mm. Or is this the first time we see the rune as well? No, I think it is on the Native American symbols from the end of season two. Oh, right. Um, but anyway. Yeah, and so um, they also do an autopsy of Teresa Banks's body. Yeah, and it is, this is the point where you're like, oh, that's right. Uh, this film is a million things, but it is also 100% first in those things, like a horror film. Yes. They're doing this autopsy, and they notice that there is something uh, under one of her fingernails. And so they uh, rip her fingernail off. In, in a, um, and they're looking in a at massive it. massive close-up. Yeah, they're looking at it through them. Oh, yeah. is that... Oh, I'm sure there are worse things. But like in terms of like, there is no blood. Hmm. It's just someone's nail being ripped off. Yeah. But that is like the most painful non-graphic image I think I've ever seen in a film. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. I I mean, it, it depends on how you count uh, the first dance torture scene in Suspiria 2018. Because <laughs> I would call that pretty graphic. You know, when yeah. someone pisses themselves, it's graphic. Um, yeah, so uh, under her fingernail, they, 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 they find a little square of paper. Does it have a B on it? No, it has a T on it. It has a T. Um, okay. Laura's has an R on it. Okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So they they, they, find, they find this piece of paper, which is a uh, clue, uh, and then uh, uh, then they're, they're going to like uh, go, go their separate ways. Uh, Sam is going to take uh, uh, is going to take Teresa's body uh, back, so we can do some some tests on it in like a proper uh, like a proper facility. Mm. And Chester's going to uh, stay around the town for for another day or so. He goes back to the trailer park to to do some more investigating. Uh, he see just uh, and he he 
Uh, he goes up to a trailer, mm. uh, which seems suspicious to him. He leans down because of something someone in the diner said. I think. Yeah, yeah. And he 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 looks underneath, it and there is a mound of dirt with that uh, uh, with a, a golden green ring on the top of it. Yeah, and he and reaches he, out for it, and then it cuts away. Oh, it's called the Fat Trout Trailer Park. We should oh, mention right. yes, that. Yes, it is. And his name, uh, Harry Dean Stanton, is Carl Rod. <laughs> this is when the dream happens. Okay. This is when we get David Bowie. Right, yeah. Wait, let me just... Yeah, yeah. At the same moment, Carl McLaughlin, the, the, uh, it's February 6th, and he, had to, he approaches David Lynch and said, Gordon, it's 10, 10 a.m. On, on February 6th. I've had a dream about this moment. And, and and he keep and oddly he goes back keeps going back into the CCTV room. Yeah, he he like stands in the hallway in front of a security camera and then walks into the to the control room and like looks at the monitors and it seems like he's trying to like catch himself on the on 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 the monitor. Yeah, and so he keeps like walking in and out and then uh, then then we see uh, uh, we see an elevator door open. Yeah, and uh, a and- a a well dressed leg steps out. Uh, would you call him well dressed? I mean, it's David Bowie, so yes. Yeah, no, it, uh, like, and, and, and um, have we discussed David Bowie in the past? No, no I, lo- I, I want to be clear. I love David Bowie, but when I talk about David Bowie, I talk about I'm talking about the cultural idea <laughs> of David Bowie, the like super idea that exists in our consciousness, right? Because yeah. David Jones, the man, was I don't think great. Yeah. But I think he created a brilliant idea that I genuinely think is bigger than him. Yeah. He, he was the first person to say, what if it were spiders from Mars? He really, he looked at the 90s and he thought, hmm, black tie, white noise. <laughs> he really looked at the year 2016 yep. and said, fuck this, I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to release like an avant-garde jazz rock album and then fucking die. Well, no, l- let's think about how good David Bowie's planning is, is that uh, uh, about five years before that, he worked on a badly performing musical uh, for which he wrote the song uh, Lazarus, right. which starts out being like, hi, my name's David Bowie, I'm dead now, lol, <laughs> bye, I'm in heaven. Um, and uh, it's not, listen to the original musical recording recording of it it's not good it's not it's like it, it's very interesting to hear several songs from black star sung and not like yeah. not like it's not it's not like what you expect when i say a broadway musical so it's not like hello but it is uh, uh, and then he was like, I'm writing this now because in a few years I'll be dying and I need to cover my own song and have it be on an album that comes out two days before I die on what would have been Elvis's birthday, on like 80th birthday, I think, and, and um, creating, I think, a psychic war that led to uh, Brexit, Trump, possibly COVID. Yep. Is genuinely like I don't think that's fact. I don't think that's factually true, but I think it's emotionally <laughs> real. And it is things like, like in that the long religion discussion that we deleted. Yeah, uh, we talked about like st- how we how we live through stories and stuff. And I'm like, I know it is false, but like, kind of the only way I can make sense of the last five years is that David Bowie died, and so there was no one here to protect us. <laughs> you know. You're just staring at me blankly. You don't. You don't agree. 
I mean, I, d- I don't think that's yeah, true. I, 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 you know I, what I, I mean? I, I, yeah, I, 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 I just don't even know what it means to think that. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm, I'm laughing with you yeah, and yeah. at me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you're right. I sound crazy, <laughs> but I. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but so Dale is watching the CCTV and more and sees Bowie step out behind himself on the CCTV. So Dale is now kind of watching the same thing that we are seeing. Yeah, and, and, and Bowie, like, wow, David Bowie's here. It's going to be great. Is he going to be a lead character? Yep. Bowie walks into the room, the room of Gordon Cole, yeah, and he's he's doing an American accent. He's doing a he's yeah. doing, and he's like, we're not going to talk about Judy. Yeah, <laughs> no, that was like weird. That was like a fucking cockney thing. That's still yeah. like, I, I, um, I, like, like great, like great musician, uh, great, like great actor in a lot of things. Uh, not, 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 not fantastic at accent work. But I don't know. It's 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 is is he trying to do? A, like, I don't think he's trying to do a good accent. I well like, uh, well we get uh, uh, in one of the many incredible moments of ADR in cinema. Um, he steps in and just out of nowhere, from out of shot, you get Gordon Cole going. Philip uh, Jeffries. This is Philip Jeffries. You may remember him from the Academy. He's got. He disappeared two years ago in Costa Rica. Buenos Aires. Yeah, one of those, I think. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, and then for about twenty seconds, he he just says like, "I'm not going to talk about Judy." No, no, no. Uh, points at Dale and is like, "Do you know who that is?" Uh, and then it's like I had a dream and then it cuts to the dream uh, and you're like oh that's good they're giving David Bowie a dream I hope he's in it he's not in it yeah uh, it cuts back from a dream and he's gone and yeah. he's never seen again <laughs> and you're like okay there is substantially more of Bowie in um, with fire work with me there there is a collection of deleted scenes assembled by David Lynch called The Missing Pieces have you had a chance to watch uh, it yet? I, I, I haven't yet uh, and most of it is non-vital uh, and a lot of it is just revisiting characters from the show that didn't really have space yeah. in the film. And it's lovely. It's lovely to spend more time with him, but Bowie has substantially has like three or four minutes of screen time oh, okay. in that. Um, none of which is vital. It's just leading up to and out of his arrival in this scene. Right. But yeah, he describes a dream. Uh, well, I, 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 I can't remember what happens in a dream. It's uh, uh, the room above the convenience store where uh, a small man in a red suit from the TV show who is I who in the credits is called the man from another place, yeah. but within the show is referred to as the arm. Yeah, um, and and is often referred to by like fans as 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 the backwards talking dwarf. Yeah, yeah, uh, which is not, I think, great. And like, mm. um, uh, uh, the actor who played him, at least in this, whose name I cannot remember off the top of my head, is it Michael Anderson. Yeah, Michael Anderson. Yeah, uh, uh, met David Lynch when he was casting for Rob uh, Robbie Rocket. Robbie oh, Rocket. Okay. Um. Uh, uh, but he uh, 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 he is there. The ma- um, Bob is there. Mm. Mrs. Shelfont and her son. Yeah, uh, who is uh, an old woman that Laura Palmer gave took meals on wheels to. Yeah, uh, and her son, who in the original series was played by David Lynch's son and is dressed as David Lynch. Um, there's a man who's just jumping. Yep. while wearing a 
horrifying white mask with a really extended white nose. There, there's an electrician and uh, two like lumberjacks, and they talk about electricity and formica. And but are they talking forwards or backwards? Is it future or is it past? Well, so. In, in in Twin Peaks, every time we see like these sorts of characters in yeah. in, in this like weird like never space, yeah. David Lynch didn't want them all to be uh, talking normally because yeah. he's like, why would they be doing that? Yeah, these these are like weird like demon spirits. And so what he did is he he had the actors learn their lines uh, backwards, yeah, learn how to like speak speak backwards, uh, and then he would record them doing the scenes uh, speaking backwards and doing all the movements in reverse, and then yeah. play them forward. If you've not seen. Twin Peaks. Uh, the best reference I think is: Do you remember where uh, in Who Shot Mr. Burns, uh, when Lisa talks to Wiggum in her dream? In his dream, this suit burns better, Luke. So that that's what that is parodying. It is just uh, as much as I've very really tried to to master how to sound like you've been talking backwards and reversed. It's quite difficult. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and like pe- people don't talk about like how. How much of like a of like a serious acting challenge that like all that stuff must have been? The most impressive thing in missing pieces is that there there are a couple of essentially alternate takes from dream sequence right. scenes where you see Michael Anderson like a sh- uh, a whole scene played out in white shot and you see that he's learned the whole scene like yeah. up until that point I was just like you would just you'd learn the line and yeah. then shoot the line until it was okay but n- and no. I, I I can't remember if it was Michael Anderson or or El Strobel I, I think it was Michael Anderson like like coincidentally as a child had learned how yeah. to talk backwards um El Strobel is uh the one-armed man yeah it's Mike yeah 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 it, it was I Michael be- Anderson yeah. I believe so yes yeah yeah as, as a child he he he'd like taught himself how to how to like speak words in reverse there's a very charming uh short that was originally on the dvds but it it is regularly on youtube of him teaching the audience how to to do it right um, and 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 uh, um uh, on, on on the special features for for twin peaks of return there's like lots of good behind the scenes stuff set set in uh, uh, uh with, with like david lynch like go, going through these scenes going through like v- these like equivalent scenes of return with with with, with the actors but like and as much as it is a technical feat and it is just so weird like the thing that is incredible about it is that this is a thing that he kind of he did once mm. it was something he was thinking about as long back as a razor head he says but he changes stories a lot yeah um but i would like seems like a thought david lynch would have you know like what what happens if you record dialogue backwards and forwards um but it just for shooting the extended ending for the pilot to get funding to make it but he was like this is good enough that i'm gonna set a major factor of this show in a world where nearly everyone universally talks like this yeah and like there is a lot of it in in later parts, uh, especially in the last episode of Twin Peaks yes. original. There is so much in the return, and there's a chunk in this. Yeah, and it is like it sustains. You, mm. it never seems silly. Yeah, it's yeah. always weird. It, it, yeah, it, it 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 never feels like a gimmick that's like that's like running its course. It it feels like so like real to like how to like those characters. Well, and it so it's kind of like the the prom photo of Laura Palmer. <laughs> well, because. 
in that there is like if there is an image of this show it yeah. is this kind of I think like maybe it's just it's a portrait photo that has been taken of Laura Palmer of her kind of smiling slightly vacantly and it is like her dead wrapped in plastic just instantly iconic and like this image will be will be on screen in the show probably more than most major characters at yeah. some points but it is so it is exactly the perfect image and that it sustains you're mm. never like oh he's singing blue velvet again <laughs> come on you know yeah, and so after yeah, so after the dream sequence is is over and and Jerry's disappeared, Dale Cooper is is sent to is is sent to Deer Meadow to look for uh, to look for Chester Desmond, mm. and uh, he 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 goes back to the the trailer park. Uh, he meets Harry Dean Stanton. Uh, he again wakes him up before nine a.m. Yeah, he's he's not happy. No, and uh, he looks around and he sees an empty space where the Alphonse trailer used to be yeah. the trailer where, where Desmond disappeared and he asked Harry Dean Stanton who lived here and I was like, oh, was a family called the Chalfonts but uh, before them it was a different family also called the Chalfonts I wonder if that means something <laughs> crazy wonder. What, what, what are the chances that two Chalfonts would, would have the same trailer space I mean not insurmountable mm. but uh, in, a wor- in the world of 20 Peaks uh, who knows? Um, and, and he sees uh, his car. He sees Chris Isaac's car. Yeah. And it has Let's Rock written on it. Yeah. In lipstick, I yes. think. And then it cuts to like a year later and we're at... Uh, 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 yeah. Yeah. So it, it cuts to a year later. We're, we're in Twin Peaks now and we're following Laura... Uh, uh, from Laura Palmer as she goes as she goes about her life, and we in, we we see her like arrive at school with her her best friend Donna, mm. uh, who in in the show is played by Lara Flynn Boyle, but in the movie from Men in Black too. Yes, but in the movie is played by Maura Kelly from The Cutting Edge. Oh well, I was I would go with The West Wing, but mm. yeah. Well, I've never seen either, so. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, the West Wing mm. is uh, uh, is what you expect it to yeah. be. That's fine. So, L- L- Laura and and Donna uh, walk, walk walk into school, and immediately Laura uh, goes off to the bathroom to do cocaine. Yeah. Uh, well, let's talk before we, because we're we're now we're this twenty five minutes into the film, and now we're in Laura Town. Yeah. Now we are. Uh, that that was a a a, a, a an amuse bouche a Bond style opener. And now, now we're in the meat of it. And so, we, like, t- Laura Palmer is both, like, the arc of the investigation was that the the story starts as, like, oh, the de- every, the most popular girl in school yeah. who everyone loves. Um, uh, she, who was clean and great and perfect. Never did she, 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 she did, um, God. She, 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 did, she did like Meals on Wheels. Meals on Wheels. And yeah, she, she was just like the, the single like best person in this entire community. She worked behind the perfume counter at a department store. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, no one has a bad word to say about yeah, like her. Yeah, like the, the like the exact image of like a mirror of like Americana teenage girl. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in, in the like first episode of a show, uh, during, during an autopsy, it's revealed that like she has cocaine in her system and yeah. she had sex with at least three men on the day that she died. Yeah. And suddenly you're like, Oh, okay. I guess there's more to this character. Looks. Wow. Yeah. She sounds fun. <laughs> oh, that's no, yeah. I, you understand the kind of like, I, I just, I, I, I like 
the point <laughs> I'm trying to make in joke form is that is that like those two details being like, oh, something else is going on is revealing about like the world of the show. Sure. As opposed to being like a default bad thing for a person to do. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um I mean not every night. It just seems tight like <laughs> it'd just be very taxing on your system. Uh, but yeah, that 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 was the joke I was trying to make. I'm I, I'm a good man, is what I'm saying. Uh, and if you don't think that's true, subjugate me. Um. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah. So she she immediately goes into the bathroom, does does some coke, and then uh, she she sees her boyfriend Bobby, and then uh, immediately like ditches Bobby uh, uh, to to go sex with James, her secret boyfriend. Yeah. So she she's pop, she's publicly dating this guy called Bobby Briggs. The Briggs, yeah, Bobby Briggs, yeah, play, um, play, play, play by Dana Ashbrook, um, clean cut quarterback. Everyone loves him. Single earring. That's how you know he's hot. Yeah, hot and straight. Because if a man has a, a man has an earring in 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 the wrong ear, you know what that means. Dana Ashbrook is the actor. The actor's yeah. name. Yeah. Um. He. No, we can't just list every actor and be like they're good. Yeah. They're all. Yeah. It's, yeah. The, she's probably dating Bobby, but behind his back, she's dating this guy called James, who is uh, who has a big square head and uh, uh, a, and a motorbike and seems uh, uh, very dumb, but also very nice. Yeah. He's a um like oh I don't. He's a he, tough with a harder goal, yeah, you know. Yeah. He, he he's he's Marlon Brando in the Defiant Ones, but like but like nice. And so much uh, of his arc, at least to me, is being like, no, no, he is like he genuinely cared about Laura. Yeah, like he, yeah, and. Uh, uh, but that is like that is kind of like the setup of her life, and she. But we also just to briefly to give the background what we learn. So like the idea of this like popular girl walking down a sun-drenched street, meeting up with her her preppy best friend played by Moira Kelly, then immediately going to school and doing cocaine in the bathroom is like supposed to be the dichotomy of Laura Palmer at large yeah. uh, uh, in that she Laura Palmer is the person who has touched every element of Twin Peaks and and, and kind of everyone has a different relationship to her mm. but kind of see the same thing you know yeah that the the universe isn't heliocentric unless the universe is Twin Peaks and you are Laura Palmer mm. and like that scene of him walking to school where we're like walking down this suburban street with like all, all these like hedges in front of his houses it's shot the exact same way as the first Halloween movie is shot, where where like all the kids are like walking down the road, and you're like, oh, there's, there's going to be a murderer behind one of those hedges. It feels yeah. like it's the exact same kind of like feeling of like tension. Yeah, there's not like putting it up against Blue Velvet is really interesting because the game of Blue Velvet so much is like. Look at this beautiful anamorphic technicolor dreamscape. Yeah. And l- what happens when you see the underbelly through the same eyes? And uh, uh, and so it is like so much of the luridness of, of Blue Velvet comes from the like the scenes of lawns and uh, you know kids playing yeah. pranks and dogs pranking about um, is is shot in the exact same way as scenes of horrific sexual violence and torture yeah um and whereas fire work with me uh flips that and that the whole thing is shot the way you would shoot the underbelly yeah it is yeah this persistent it 
it stares, it loves an uneasy Kubrick close-up. I mean, like so much of this film is like from Cheryl Lee's eyebrows <laughs> to her chin, just watching her react to things. Yeah, and and, and like so, so so much of of the like pleasure of Twin Peaks of a show is you know there, there are these horrible things happening, and it's about like investigating them and trying to make sense of them. But but also you spend so much time with all all of these like these like charming fun people who are doing charming fun stuff and like oh Norma and Big Ed are falling in love and you know all all, yeah. all, all, all that stuff and like partly because this is a movie and has to you know be a certain running length like there is almost none of the fun stuff in this movie it's like there, there, there is a bit of it but it, like it leans like like so much of a film is like just drained of the like of the like kookiness of of the show and it's just like all about no, this is like the real suffering that this person was experiencing while everyone else was just sort of like having a good time. Or looking the other way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like the telling thing in, in Missing Pieces is that when you spend time with other characters from around town, like you you see them and like they're, they're themselves, mm. you know. You see the sheriff's department and Andy is still Andy. Yeah. But it's not like there's not a great Andy gag or there's mm. not some good hawk wisdom, you know? It is, they've all been kind of dragged down into the horribleness of this moment. Yeah. So Laura, Laura, Laura goes home. Uh, she, she, she gets her secret diary and, and, and she discovers uh, that, that, that two of the pages have been ripped out. Yeah. And uh, this seems like uh, bad news because uh, there, there, there's, 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 there's some pretty personal stuff in there. Um, how, my problem with my secret diary mm. is that I really struggle to forget that it's my secret diary. And just a helpful, I'm always looking for like stationery and like journal and notebook keeping hints. And one um, that I like that's in this film uh, is that the first page is just blank except for the text, The Secret Diary of Laura yeah. Palmer. So it's just good. And um, worth noting, The Secret Diary of Laurie pa- <laughs> Laurie Palmer, Laura Palmer was a book that was published. Yeah, at, it was written by Jennifer Lynch, the, yeah. the daughter of David Lynch. Yep, yeah, and uh, director in her own right. Yes. Um, and, she, and I own a copy of it, and I've never been able to read it because it is uh, so upsetting right from the beginning. Yep. It, it is a book detailing like a, a girl from the age of like 12 to 17 just like talk, talking about like regular teenage girl stuff and then just dropping in like very upstanding accounts of like of sexual abuse because that's what it's about yeah uh, and it was interesting that that was kind of uh there have been two kind of waves of twin peaks books mm. the first one were was consisted of two kind of three which was that and um my life, my tapes, the diary of Dale Cooper. Yeah, which, which, which was an audio book of like a. It's like there mm. was an audio book oh, which okay. combined excerpts from the book and excerpts from the show. Right. But was like sold on a single tape and was like an hour long. Oh, it was okay. heavily abridged and rearranged. And then there was the book version of it. Okay. Like starts from right, when right. he so was so a child. It was like transcribed all the... Yeah. Right, right. And like okay. that is because the game... Uh, 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 um, Cooper is always talking to a dictaphone to Diane, um, who is his assistant in yep. Philadelphia. And, and like the first time, his introductory character moment is like, so Diane going to investigate a murder. Also stopped at the double R and they had 
coffee that'll kill you. And it's just the most charming thing. And like the opening passage of the Dale Cooper book is the first time he's ever kept an audio log, which is like at the age of 12. And he's describing himself with a real to real tape recorder on his back. Uh, and what he refers to his umbilical cord, which is a power cord going into the house, walking around his lawn being like, I see a dog. And, it, and so it is, it's like those two books together were like the light and the dark, the mm. And together they kind of formed the balance of Twin Peaks. Yeah. Anyway, she's writing her diary. Two pages are gone. What the fuck? She does not remember tearing them out. Yeah. And so she 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 takes the uh, uh, she takes the rest of her diary to a friend of hers, a guy called Harold Smith. Yeah. Uh, who uh, likes plants and never leaves his house because he's terrified of going outside. Mm-hmm. The next day, and uh, 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 and and Laura is doing the Meals on Wheels. Uh, she she uh, she stops by the diner uh, to 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 pick up the meals, uh, and she has sort of a cold interaction with uh, 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 with with Shelley, one of the waitresses, played by Madge mm-hmm. Amick, because Madge Amick is uh, secretly sleeping with uh, Bobby, uh, Laura's boyfriend, uh, which uh, Laura doesn't know about. Uh, well, uh, like. You get an like there's a suspicion. Yeah, 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 yeah. But when Laura uh, walks outside, she sees uh, mi- she sees Mrs. Chelfont and her grandson, who is now wearing uh, a a crazy mask, which which was which is worn by the jumping man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like a a white mask that covers all, all, all the like features of his face. Uh, and at, at the top there is a there is a long white point, and at the bottom there is like a long red point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's super creepy. Yeah, and he's just jumping around and he's still in his suit with his David Lynch hair shooting out of the top of it. And it is... Again, it should be silly. Mm. Like it should be weird. And, and Mrs. Shelfont gives him gives Laura uh, a, uh, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's a painting of an empty room with an open door, yeah. and she says this will go well on your wall. And it is just and, and, incredibly and, disturbing. Yeah, and and then says like you know, and then says something along the lines of like you know who the person is who has been abusing you. He's in your house right now. He's under the fan in the hall, and now and now he's in your room. And Laura freaks out and runs home to try and like catch a glimpse of the person who has been abusing her for for her entire life essentially yeah and she creeps into her house she opens the door to her room looks in uh freaks out and then we get a shot of 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 frank silver as bob uh, uh, like behind her uh Behind her, like chest of drawers, which and, is where she hides yeah. the, the the diary. Yeah, yeah. she she freaks out, and ru- runs outside, and uh, um, d- r- runs down the street and hides uh, uh, h- hides in the grass. I mean, she 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 looks back up. The, she looks back up the street towards her house, and she sees her father Leland walk out. Yeah, and and, and that's the moment she realizes uh, that the man who has been raping her since she was a child is her father. I uh, and she flips out. Yeah. It is one of many scenes in this film of Cheryl Lee um, portraying a, a rabid fear mm. and, and horror, which, it, like, there are many cases uh, of attractive young blonde women in American films seeing things and screaming. Yeah. There are, there, you know, like, uh, uh, they don't even have to be blonde. And it's like, there is a whole industry of actresses who are incredibly good at it and are great at mining meaning from it. And I don't yeah. want to underserve them. But when I say, like, this moment in particular where she's kind of like, she's supposedly hiding behind a bush, but she's just kind of like animalistic on the ground 
bellowing with fear. Yeah. It is uh, just like, I find it troubling. It is, I find that troubling in the way those people screaming around me. Yeah. Yeah. Was like, it is accessing a part of my fear brain. Yeah. And, and I think the thing that puts the, that puts firewall, firewall for me like over blue velvet for me is like, is these performances is, is, is Cheryl Lee and Ray Wise as Leland. And like, just like two of the most like committedly over top and like physical and upsetting performances I've ever seen. But all- and like but both playing into like the exact shit that I love seeing actors do. But also like using that like the caricaturing of performance yeah. if you will or like the exaggeration uh in a like the physical theater like they are expressing ecstatic truth yes, yes rather it, it is like i love some ham but like hamming is to me like definitionally you know spicing a bland meat mm-hmm. whereas this where it's like no 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 this is they're beefing you know <laughs> the this this meat already has a text your own character and they are just beefing it up you know yeah yeah yeah, it's like the the greatest tragedy to me of Twin Peaks is that Cheryl Lee wasn't immediately like Sher- that Cheryl yeah. Lee isn't Sandra Bullock now, and that's I'm not saying that's a one for one swap, but it should be like but for you, like that that like size of star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it should be like yeah, I, and like and like because, because this movie had like such a like got such like a negative reaction at the time. Yeah, like yeah, like p- p- people did not like this performance. People didn't like Ray Wise's performance. People just like thought this entire movie was 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 like trash. Yeah, because they came into it expecting answers, forgetting that they're dealing with David. Yeah, and, and like now over the past like like decade, there has been a like massive reevaluation of this film, and like and especially Cheryl Lee's performance. And and I uh, I think I just want to drop this mm. here so we can return to it in like literally a year. But I think the key change in that time is Mulholland Drive. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and that is because um, up until on in the Lynch timeline, the, his film before this is Wild at Heart, yeah, which is again one of his more straightforward films, mm. which is still like you know it's still it's not that straightforward, but it, yeah. it's like linear and you can follow it. And, and Blue Velvet, as absolutely dreamlike and phantasmagorical as it is, is a linear narrative. Yeah, it, it, it also just like works as a noir. Yeah, you. Can can, uh, uh, yeah, you can take it at face value, yeah. and and which is exactly what David Lynch doesn't want you to do. But anyway, and it was with like Mulholland Drive is the point where Lynchianness is like, oh no no, like there is something to this. It's building to something, yeah. and because coming to to fire work with me, being like, oh, it'll just be a noir, just be a scary film. Like I can understand people being annoyed by it because it is you could feel like it is just a cavalcade of catastrophe leading to a poor woman's death. Yeah. But when you're like, oh no, everything means something. Yeah. So then, um, uh, so she she comes home that night uh, and uh, she she sees that her father is is is, is uh, her father is sitting at the dinner table just like, kind of like waiting for her. Yeah. And as as soon as she comes in the door, he he calls her over and he he makes her sit down at the table and starts like talking to her but in this like very kind of like mannered kind of 
creepy way. Like, like, like he's forcing himself to be so normal. Yeah, he seems a bit, it, it's a bit possessed butler. And there, there, there is a scene where they are sitting at the table and he, he is talking to Laura and it's getting just kind of like weirder and and more kind of like, there's like growing, there's growing tension as he keeps talking to her. And he keeps asking, he asks about her lovers and yeah. things like that. Like, Well, well like for, for, first, first, um, uh, when 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 Sarah Palmer, who's Laura, Laura's mum, uh, comes in to like put food on the table, Leland suddenly goes, oh, Laura, "Laura hasn't washed her hands." Yeah, Laura sat down on the table without washing her hands, and when he goes over and like grabs her hands and and like looks at them and starts like talking about how filthy her hands are, and then he like. And now he's like there and he's like grabbing her. He starts like talking about, he starts like asking her about her lovers. And it's, it's a very, it's a, it's a very upsetting scene. And you just keep on getting these like, these cuts back to, 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 to Sarah Palmer, who, who was just sort of like standing on the other side of the table, just like unable to, to do anything. Or and, I like, Grace Zabriskie plays Sarah Palmer, yeah. who is, uh, I, I'd call her an all-time great, hey, it's her yeah. actress. <laughs> um, and, and especially, like, it. I understand, like, the credits of this film are starring Cheryl Lee as Laura Palmer, Ray Wise as um, Leland Palmer, and everyone else. And yeah. Uh, I wish Zabriskie was up there because she kind of gets lost uh, uh, in acknowledgement because so much of Sarah Palmer's character is about when you look at her, it is the conflict and turmoil of someone who is both being forced to ignore the obvious and is choosing to ignore the obvious and how that can just totally destroy a person and how both of those things can feed each other. But it, it, it is it's an exquisite uh, performance uh, ab- ab- absolutely no I, I thought you'd disagree <laughs> um, but yeah this is a, just a, a scene of tremendously disturbing domestic harassment yeah um, and I yeah I just don't and it is to me in some ways it is the worst scene of the film for a value mm. of like fear mm. and pain yeah um in a way that is really well yeah it's as when you come to it and uh, like oh this is a horror film you're like oh no this is a horror set piece that is up there with killings earlier and later right yeah. and it is interesting how lynch frames a scene of domestic quarrel and it is just through kind of tone and intention and ray wise's acting and and the like looks on 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 laura's face over scene are just like incredible yeah she she like shuts down yeah she freezes and yeah so so that 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 night she puts uh, uh she, she she puts the the painting that that the chelfonts gave her on, on her wall yeah and uh she seems to like enter the painting in a in a dream and go into the black lodge um which is uh the uh, kind of the key dreamscape there are several but it is uh, a zigzaggy pattern on the ground uh red, 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 curtain. red yeah red like velvet curtains yeah. everywhere um and it is and and that, that that's where Bob and Mike and the man from another place all sort of hang out. Um, unless they're above the convenience yeah. store or in the fireman's house, 
above the purple ocean. Obviously. Um, uh, uh, sorry, I, do, I barely need to explain these things. Uh, and here we get a scene um, of of the arm. Um, and he, of course, says, Hi, I'm the arm. And I sound like this. Well, I can't do it. You do it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Which is a sound we, we, we hear like a couple times throughout the movie. Uh, and um, he shows uh, uh, Cooper, Laura sees the arm show Cooper the ring. Yeah. The, um, and, and Dale looks down the camera and says, don't put on the ring, Laura. And, and so she naturally wakes up to be like, huh, oh, better write. And she opens a diary and sees the dream diary of Laura Palmer. But uh, she's not alone in bed. Who is in bed with her? Uh, the body of Teresa Bank. No, it's yeah. Annie Blackburn. Oh, right, right, it is Annie, yeah. Yeah. Uh, who, who is a character played by Heather Graham in season two of the show. Roller girl herself. Yeah. And at, at, at the end of season two, Annie is taken is taken into the Black Lodge with, with Cooper. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and because, like, uh, time is all weird... Yeah. You, you, is you, it future or is it yeah, past? Yeah, you 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 have this this scene happening like like six months to a year before before Annie is taken into the Black Lodge. Yeah, but but, but yeah, you 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 see, you see her body in 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 bed with Laura, and so, something that I like really love about about the scene is mo- most movies you you'd have the like. The scene where a person wakes up from a dream, they turn around, and there's like, and now there's like a bloody body in their bed. Like that's when the person would freak out. Yeah. But but Laura turns around, she sees Annie, and she like talks with she talks with her like with her bloodied body, and then like and then, and then Annie's body disappears, and that's when she freaks out. Yeah. Uh, I I love I love I love that choice so much. Um. Yeah. Annie says, uh, the good Dale is trapped in the Black Lodge, and that she should write it in her diary. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and so she does. So she does, and that seems like it'll come back. Yep, in 2017, <laughs> in 25 years. Yep. Um. Uh. But oh, and she is wearing the ring on her hand. Yeah. Um. And then oh, this is when we get a bit of Bobby. Uh, Bobby Liggles, when she wakes up, the ring has disappeared. Oh yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, then we get um, Bobby um, and Leo and Jacques Renault, mm. who are uh, supporting characters that loom large in the mythology, because they uh, these are the the th- the the three partners uh, mm. Laura Palmer had that night. Mm. Um, uh, uh, that she died in, that Leo and Jacques, uh, they were the three big um, red herring. Yeah. Uh, uh, Mur- murderers. Murderers. Um, and they, uh, uh, and we know that Leo and, uh, they're setting up the drug score that will lead to the events that occur on the night of Laura Palmer's death. Yeah. And so it is like, yeah. The, yeah, the, yeah. So, so, so Leo is a trucker. He is married to Shelly. Yeah. The, the Waitress who is uh, uh, who is secretly uh, dating Bobby. Mm. Uh, then uh, Jacques is uh, is a bartender at, at the Roadhouse. Yeah, they're called the the Bang Bang Bar. Yeah, they yeah. It, it, it's called the Bang Bang Bar and it is a Roadhouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but like it's just referred to in the show as the Roadhouse usually. Yeah. Um, and uh, the Roadhouse gets great guests, gets great musicians. The yeah. Chromatics love playing there. Yeah. Apparently, no, it's it, it's 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 like the Bronze and Buffy. Oh yeah, you know? oh yeah. It's, it's, it's where all the big stars go, like like Chibo Mato. <laughs> Can I just say, Chibo Mato was the pull I was exactly about to make. 
because being like one of the earliest moments of my like I think my magic skill is connecting things was seeing Chibumaro in you know season two of Buffy yeah. and being like they're singing singer sugar sugar water sugar yeah. water and the important fact to know about that is that the music video for Sugar Water was directed by Michel Gondry mm. yeah it, it's uh, it's a great it's a great single take music video that plays both forwards and backwards and oh. splits uh, like. Check out the music video for Sibomato's Sugar Water. It is a it's oh it's it's bad to call it a banger. It's uh, <laughs> better song, but it's actively trying not to be a banger. It is what like nineties era Bjork would call Bjork. Sorry, would call. I'm apologising to her. She's our only listener. <laughs> um, would call a banger. Yeah, <laughs> not what orts or teens Bjork would call a banger. No. Um. Uh. And, yeah. Jacques Renault uh, and they're he, like he, he's a yeah he's a French Canadian bartender who who was who was involved in uh, 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 who was involved in cocaine smuggling and he is just like a, a, a squalid avatar of corruption and terribleness yeah like he uh, uh, and he also has a twin brother played by the same actor <laughs> yeah because why wouldn't you want this guy yeah. back and that, that guy's name is is uh, is is Jean Pierre Renault what a terrifying avatar of malevolence and. Whereas, like, yeah, Leo is like Leo is violent. Yeah, like it, it's telling that his arc through the second season is that he essentially becomes hired muscle for the new bad guy. Mm. Um, and, and, like if Leo is violence, Renault is is corruption. So yeah, so Laura's in her house listening to music and smoking and drinking. Her parents have gone out somewhere, and uh, uh, and she she's all she's all dressed up. And Don and Donna comes over uh, to to you know see her best friend. And Laura yeah. and Laura's like, no, I, I can't see. I'm I'm, yeah. I'm going out tonight. And Laura leaves and goes to the roadhouse. Yeah, and Donna very much only interacts with the like preppy high school head cheerleader side of Laura yes, Palmer. Yeah. Um, and, and this is yeah her trying to engage with the other world. So um, Laura is is about to go into the roadhouse. Oh no, you yeah yeah. So th- 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 this this is the, the the like first we see in the movie of the thing that is like mentioned of a show like a fair bit, which is, like Laura was a was a prostitute, and she she she. And so she 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 goes to the roadhouse. She meets the log lady on the way. Oh, she the does, log lady, yeah. possibly the most iconic part of um, uh, uh, Twin Peaks. Yeah, it's a woman who carries a log everywhere and speaks for the log. Yeah. Uh, uh, played by Catherine E. Coulson, yeah. who. Uh, one of Lynch's closest collaborators, often behind the scenes, but like she's the reason we have a razor head. She, right, she yeah. did a lot of the work to rally money and resource for that film. Um, and she also is just very good at holding a log and saying things like, my log thinks your hair is the wrong color. <laughs> In ways where you're like, okay, that fuck, there's meaning in that shit. Um, but yes, uh, in inside the bar, she, who is it that hooks her up with the two it's, guys? It's, it's Jacques. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. So she, she's she's sitting at a table by herself, and we see like two guys walk out to a bar to to talk to Jacques, and and Jacques points him over to to Laura, and at the same time, Donna walks in and sits at the bar and is like observing Laura and. And is like and instantly like kind of un- understands what's going on and like what her friend has gotten herself into and so th- these 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 two guys come over to 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 Laura. I just don't even like talking about this part of the movie because it's all just so upsetting. Yep. Uh, uh, and I and I I want like it is it is 
um, uh, sex work is a valid and noble yeah. profession, uh, and it is very much like um, the the thing that is upsetting about this exchange is that it is what what is it that Laura says to them? Oh, you want to fuck the head cheerleader or something <laughs> like? Oh, you want to fuck the prom queen? Yeah, yeah. And it is so clearly that this is these exchanges are purely capital. Like the the what is happening to Laura and, and during the scene we meet Ronette Pulaski who is um, kind of friends with this other world's Laura and yeah. um, is, was the fourth person who was there on the night she died. Yeah. Um, uh, and is is like the, the 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 issue I think and I think even is not that she is a sex worker yeah. it is that uh, what is being sold and what men are buying is is like a beauty and a quote unquote purity and balance that they want to corrupt yeah you know it's it's it is it is the problem part of sex which is the power part yeah and also she's a minor who's been abused her entire life and oh well, yeah yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah 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 just, just like it, it, to be clear yeah, yeah, i absolutely I'm, agree with that yes, as well yes. <laughs> and but, but yeah so so these these two guys come over and she like she like mocks them to their faces and like yeah uh then she she, she like she, she she sort of like doesn't really want to go with them and, and but, yeah. but then but then like uh, uh, but, 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 but then Donna comes over and and Laura is trying to like drive Donna away because yeah. like Laura doesn't want Donna to be involved in this part of yeah. her life at all and so Laura agrees to go for men she starts kissing them and then Donna to like prove like her her friendship with Laura and that like she cares about her and loves her no like no matter what yeah do, do, Donna like also like starts kissing one of the men and then and then all, all four of them go off to give it to like a back room of the club where uh, uh, no it's the the bar up they go they cross the Canadian border it is it's well no no because it, it's it, it seems like it's one eye jacks but it's not no it's called the Glory, but it is in Canada oh okay they so, do, okay, so it's, it not, is, it's not one eye jacks it's not one eye okay, jacks okay, it's, it, it, it's just that they do cross the border it, it, right, which yeah. is a thing it, it's it, but it's a different place but that's a single line yeah like it's not yeah anyway. yeah yeah I, I, like it's just like in, in some places like people people like think that that scene happens in one eye jacks but there is specifically a line where where like yeah. where Laura and Ronette are talking and they say like oh I haven't felt like this since we got kicked out of One-Eyed Jacks yeah One-Eyed Jacks uh, is, is is a Canadian brothel yeah where because where, um, as, as 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 I mentioned to you for like uh, two days ago uh, there are no positive portrayals of Canada or Canadians <laughs> in the work of David Lynch yeah, I, I I did work very hard to try and think of an exception, but them mm. like 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 Canada is synonymous with with corruption <laughs> and evil in <laughs> David Lynch's um, mind. Uh, uh, but yeah, and the scene and it's called, I only know it's called the Power and the Glory because I have the Wikipedia page right, in front of me. Yeah. But it's like the the club in Canada. Um, uh, the music. Uh, this is a oh ten to fifteen minute sequence yeah. where the music is turned up so loud you can't hear what they're saying. So they speak in um, yeah, so subtitles. Yeah, yeah. If, if, if everything is subtitled, uh, the the. 
uh, the band on stage uh, play, playing the song. Uh, the 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 singer of a band is topless. Yeah. Uh, the the band is playing the same song the whole time. Yeah. A lot of it is just uh, uh, the same kind of like bass riff. Yeah. Throughout. Yeah. It's this noisy industrial sort so, sort of rock on the Shushu album. Uh, Shushu plays the music of Twin Peaks. <laughs> uh, 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 the the, the song is called uh, Bl- uh, Blue Frank slash Pink Room. Mm. And uh, so five minutes, five minutes of fucking killer noise rock. Bri- brilliant song, uh, great album. Uh, if if yeah. you like uh, Twin Peaks or experimental rock, check out Shushu plays the music of Twin Peaks. Do you know who we didn't talk about when we talked about Blue Velvet? Oh, Angelo uh, Angel- Angel- Lamente, Yeah, um, uh, Blue Velvet was the first time Angelo Bellamente, um from Blue Velvet onwards scores David Lynch's work. Yeah, when there is a score and it's not being done by David Lynch himself, who has released several albums. Yeah. Which are good examples of like the noise, jazz, and experimental blues. And if you like those things, you'll probably like them. Yeah, there's there's like one there's there's a song there's like one song that's played on uh, uh, there's one song on the soundtrack to Firewalk with Me, um, uh, which is called A Real Indication by a group called Fort Gang, and that's Angela Badalamente and, and David Lynch doing like a weird jazz rock band. Yeah. But but yeah, so Angela Badalamente did the score for, for all of Twin Peaks. And like probably like it's like the most iconic like TV music. Like, right. Oh, I, uh, I think. Like, like no one can hear the opening note of Falling and not know exactly what they're listening to. I, I, uh, oh, it's certainly up there. Yeah. And uh, uh, like it is... The thing I love about Angelo Badalamente's music, what I'm about to say will sound mean, but I mean it as a a gold star perfect, is that out of context, uh, it would be hokey or boring or like uh, too much in that it is. There's a lot of like soaring or muted synths kind of wailing along with things. But it plays in such a beautiful and such a well-modulated juxtaposition to the, like, texture of the pictures and the performances is that, like, it fe- like it feels insane for this show to sound like anything else. Yeah. And it is, like... And yeah, no, like, and like this film plays with the iconography yeah. um, of it. And, and uh, a thing we, we skipped over very quickly is that while at the, um, when Cooper finds the car um, way, uh, way back at Harry Dean Stanton's mm. place, he's like, Diane, I don't think this is over. I think this person will kill again. I, what we don't know is where. And then there is a hard cut to the sign that says, welcome to Twin Peaks and the theme playing. Yeah. And it is your, it's just, immediately like like it fills you up (laughs) like it is uh incredible there's a great youtube video of angelo battle talking about the composition of laura palmer's yeah i was was gonna bring that up it's like yeah he it's it's him playing laura palmer's theme while describing the things that david lynch said to him as they as they wrote the song it's it's so it's so it's so good and And yeah yeah and it's just like this if like badly meaning like recreation of it is like an accurate reflection of how that process worked, which like obviously it's it's going to be like mythologized to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah. But like I I think even if it is mythologized, there's still like like obviously like a kernel of truth to to like how they work together. Yeah. Well, and, and it, it's like indicative of like such a like special creative partnership. Well, and I and I feel like 
if any white male creator has created a body of work where we should trust the myths, where we should print the legends, yeah. it, it, it is David Lynch and specifically Twin Peaks. It is like, because it always feels like, yeah, as, as perfect as that composition uh, um, meeting sounds like it went and like we got fucking incredible music out of it yeah like even if that isn't true that story still works because it's kind of twin peaks leaking into the real world <laughs> yeah. which is you know what you want <laughs> yeah and 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 of, and of like battle of Mente is like making some that up that's also the sort of thing that david lynch would make up oh yeah absolutely um and it is like i and i think the interesting thing about battle of Mente is that he he's done lots of other work yeah he he's composed a lot for tv and other films but he it, it is it is a, a, a and that it's not bad but he's never at the height of his powers the way he is when he is working with lynch yeah yeah it, it, it's it's like a leone morricone thing or um hitchcock herman right yes yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, in this Canadian club, which is dingy, it's almost entirely lit red. Yeah, it's it's like red with like with like strobe with, with like white strobe lights. Um, we for, for for fifteen minutes. Yeah, we can't hear what they're saying, and, and a lot of it is close-ups on people making lascivious and horrifying looks yeah. at each other. Yeah, the two men and Jacques and uh, Laura and Donna are mm. all standing in a circle drinking and they're all like passing their drinks around to each other and drinking and what, 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 one, one of the men pours, um, pours like Rohypnol into, uh, in, in, into Donna's beer and like passes it back to her. Yeah. And uh, and she, I mean, uh, uh, she drinks it and then they meet Ronette Pulaski who is... Uh, yeah, the, the fourth, the fourth. Yeah. person who was there um and, and this is where we clarify that yeah laura and ronnie talk about Teresa banks's death yeah uh, uh they were friends they had they had a threesome scheduled with some guy who didn't show and then Teresa banks was blackmailing someone and died yeah and and had been asking about uh, uh laura and ronnie's dads yep but this thing goes on for quite a while, and then at a certain point, uh, Laura uh, looks over and she sees uh, uh, Donna like draped over a table, topless, and one one of them is like is like kissing and groping her. Yeah, the one with the mustache. Yeah. One has a mustache, one doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and this is kind of like finally like too much for for for, for Laura. And just uh, another sequence of Cheryl Lee portraying Top, topless and screaming and, <laughs> but just having an absolute yeah. like accessing the animal part of her brain like yeah. the ferocity with which she attempts to save donna because uh, she is also attempting to save herself yeah. and blah, blah 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 um is yeah it is like this scene is i think a good point to talk about the fact that like david lynch says i love two things which is machines and nude women uh which i buy yeah but he has never presented either of those things without it being incredibly troubled I think in like Wild at Heart, most of the the sex scenes in Wild at yeah, Heart. No, you're, yeah, you are you are right. Yeah, um, and, but but like that, that that that's like his one where it's just like like this film is like this film is a romance. This film has like a happy ending. Yeah. Yeah, this is about like two adults having a consensual sexual relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it is just this horrific. It is 
like how this film gets away with having so much horrific sexual content like Blue Velvet is that it, I think it is clearly but invisibly working very hard that it is never even faintly threatened to be like like it, it would be very hard to turn this into pornography. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, 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 a, a, a repeated story about the making of Blue Velvet is that David Lynch never swore on set. Mm. We never hear, when that film has the word fuck in it like 200 times. Yeah. Like at one point, I believe it was the record holder until Pulp Fiction came along. Well, until like Goodfellas, right? Oh, right, yes. Yeah. And then... Um, which which I'm seeing tonight. Oh wow! Have you carry for five bucks? Oh, good friend, good friends, good fellas. Have you seen it before? Yeah, oh, but yeah. I haven't seen it on the big screen. I mean, it's the same as on a smaller screen, but bigger. Mm, true. It's just it's three hours, right? Yeah. Only like when it says he makes three hour films about one thing and friendly woods. <laughs> It's longer than three hours. Yeah, no, right? it's like yeah. it's like four and a half. But but it's okay because he also made like an eighty-five minute movie about her, so it I balances mean, out. Does is there any cross pollinate? Oh, anyway, uh, I, I I I I haven't I haven't seen the the first one. Pretend it's a city. You've ever seen like a talking head of friendly words and been like, "Fuck, I just wish you could talk about anything for roughly five hours." Check out. Oh, it's delightful. Yeah, it's it's oh. so much fun. And like lots of uh, delightfully invisible craft in that. Like yeah. just how much that show trusts us to just be delighted by Fran Leibowitz. Um Also, if you want to see Martin Scorsese really, really happy. Yeah. <laughs> so many good reaction shots of Martin Scorsese enjoying the presence of his friends yeah. in a way where I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's right. Um, but so... Yeah, he- so, yeah, so Laura takes Donna home and I can't remember if it's that night or, or, or the next morning where, where Laura basically says to Donna, like, don't don't fucking end up like me. Uh, it's the next morning because yeah. uh, Laura has to go home to get ready for school in the sun. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but but uh, 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 but but because uh, 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 but because Donna was roofied, she doesn't like really remember any anything that happened that night. Which uh, which, which becomes a thing later on of a show. Yeah. So it's not it's not it's not a, it's not a plot hole. Yeah. Uh, no. People on Letterboxd. Uh, so Leland comes to 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 pick Laura up from 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 Donna's place and is driving and is driving her is driving her home. Yeah. And and what um, things are fraught between them for obvious reasons. Yeah. Uh, and and while they're driving home. Uh, a camper van uh, speeds up behind them, uh, and it turns out that this camper van is being driven by Mike, uh, who who used to be like a member of the Black Lodge and was like working. It was like a man possessed by a demon. He was like working with Bob and stuff. Uh, and then he he like uh, uh, then he 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 cut off his arm to like much much in the same way that, that Bruce Campbell does in Evil Dead Two. Yeah, he cuts off the arm to like get rid of the like infection. Yeah, uh, and 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 now he's like working against the 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 Black Lodge. It's seemingly. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And yeah. So he, he, he drives up in his camper van. He's driving all erratic and he's kind of like, it seems like he's trying to like drive them off the road and stuff. Uh, and then, uh, he's yelling at them. Yeah. 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 And then they, they, they come, uh, uh, they, 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 they come to a red light. Mike, uh, drives like, uh, drives like around the intersection, comes back, uh, and, and, and stops, uh, right next to him and starts yelling at them, uh, like shouting at Laura, like, you know who your father is. You, you, you know, you, you know what he's done yeah. and and Leland's like shouting back at him to shut up and Laura's like screaming and fucking losing it again because this is a horrifying situation to be in yeah and, and Mike Mike shows him the the, the the ring on his finger yeah and it's the it's the same ring we've seen before yeah and uh being after he's finished shouting at them he uh, uh he drives off yeah uh 
then uh, Leland uh, pulls into a uh, 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 pulls into a service station where one of the where one of the mechanics is James Parks. Uh, yeah, it's maybe one line, if yeah, any. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And 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 while they're sitting in in, in the service station, uh, Leland has uh, uh, remembers when he was having let's be gracious and call it an affair with Teresa Banks, mm. uh, uh, and uh, was like, you know, you've got two friends, uh, not knowing that one is his daughter. Yeah. Um. And and, and so he 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 asked Teresa to like set up a four way uh, for. For, for for them, I mean, he he uh, he 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 arrives on the day that it's supposed to happen, and he looks in the door and he sees Laura on 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 the bed there, and she 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 doesn't see him because she's talking with, with Ronette. Yeah. But he 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 sees her and he's like, Ooh, not not sure Laura would be into this. Yeah. Uh, so he <laughs> so he uh, he uh, 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 he he turns around to leave, and he, but he like bumps into Teresa uh, and. She asks him like why he's leaving. He's like, oh, I, 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 I chickened out. Uh, and, and, and he gives he gives the money anyway and leaves. And as he's walking out from the parking lot, we see uh, the kid. Uh, we, we we see like uh, Mrs. Chelfont's grandson wearing, wearing the mask again and jumping around. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that the, the important thing, my takeaway from this scene is that this is the first time we've seen Leland do what I would term Bob stuff, but it's not Bob. Like mm. there is a, a, um, there are many things to praise about Ray Wise's performance, but like there is a Leland performance and there is a Bob performance yeah. and he, he begins to blur the lines. But in this, it is, it, it, it is clearly making the point of like, no, Leland was not a good man turned evil. He mm. was, he was. The, a man who let the darkness in, hmm. um, and is it? But, but like it, it, it's it's also sort of like insinuated in, in, in the show that like Leland himself was like a victim of abuse as a child. Yeah, and and yeah, so like and being like the the entire like idea of Twin Peaks becomes about like these like cycles of trauma and abuse yeah. that that just like that like corrupt and destroy entire cultures because <laughs> we don't know how to like we don't know how to deal with the fucking darkness. Well, and, and that 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 is referred to a lot in Mark Frost's mm. books, um, uh, which came out around the return in terms of like the colonial history of yeah. the area, uh, forcing out native peoples and stealing. Yeah. And, 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 and like land. a major a major plot point in season two is like a recreation of of the Civil War. Where like the guy who's doing it yeah. is like is like acting as a confederate and talk about like how great the confederacy is. Yeah, uh, uh, it's not subtle. No, <laughs> but it's uh, some anvils need to be dropped. Yeah, is it also during this flashback? That this is where we see uh, Leland kill Teresa. Yeah, yeah. So this is where we, like we go back to the, the beginning with 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 the X through the TV. Yeah, and and then we learn that she had like figured out that Laura was his daughter and was blackmailing him, and uh, so he kills her. And he like smashes her head, and and it's uh, uh, very uh, bad and gross. Yeah, uh, uh, and puts a letter under her fingernail. Yes. Then that night, Laura and Bobby. Uh, and take cocaine in the woods, and the 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 drug deal um, uh, uh, that Bobby wanted to sort out with Jacques 
it goes down. Yeah, and and this is a whole scene that's like that is like lit by flashlights in the woods, and it's just all these fucking shots of trees with like one spotlight on them, just like just like moving erratically. Um, and and the extended sequence uh, of of Laura and Bobby hanging out with just one torch. There is all this just in- incredibly smart blocking of a light source to keep them both lit. Mm. That looks so natural, you don't think about it. But it is like it's so difficult. But the drug courier turns up. He is uh, from. He's one of the Deer Meadow sheriffs. Right. Yeah. Um. He's got a just a massive bag of cocaine. Yeah. Like. I mean, I'd call it in my head movie standard bag size. Yeah. You know, like it's yeah. So it's, it's not like a sack. No, but it's it's the amount that they're trying to sell in that scene, the Alfred Molina scene of Boogie Nights. If that if that means anything, I, I to still anyone. haven't still haven't seen it. Borrow my copy. Check it out. Uh, there's there's a scene where they try and sell Alfred Molina cocaine. Right. Yeah. Um, Does he have a shotgun? Yes. Yeah. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Oh. The shotgun is just the least startling <laughs> thing about that about that scene, and that's a scene that contains Mike Wal- Mike Wahlberg, Mark Wahlberg, and John C. Riley. <laughs> And oh, what's his name? Tom Jane. Okay, you know one of the Punishers. Yeah, sorry, one of the Punished Ers. Punishers. Uh, um, but uh, the messenger takes out a gun. Yeah, uh, and then Bobby pulls out his gun. Yeah, which he has somehow. Oh no, because it's America. Yeah, uh, he shoots him. And uh, and then goes over to check on the body and uh, realizes that he's uh, just uh, murdered someone. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, and then Laura begins to laugh hysterically while uh, Bobby really pathetically tries to bury the body by just like picking up soil. That's <laughs> yeah, next and just to like it. leaves and just like and just just, yeah. just like flicking it onto the body. And La- Laura finds this all hilarious. Um, I mean, it's it's sort of like 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 shock laughter, yeah. But but, but also she is like laughing at how pathetic Bobby is, yeah. Um, then the ne- and, and Bobby uh, isn't particularly happy with that. Then uh, then at school, James is like, Are "You on something, right?" That that's when he yeah, I I think so. And uh, I think Laura says no, but also you see uh, uh, her giant uh, dilated pupils. Yeah, like they they did very good work dilating her pupils in this movie. <laughs> I mean, one hopes it is a false effect or else just again, like a, an easy way, like part of the joy of David Lynch is how easily like one change would make it terrible. And yeah. like, oh no, uh, here's a fun behind the scenes fact of firework with me. Um, uh, David Lynch forced your leader to do drugs and you're like, okay, great. So it's now the worst <laughs> film. <laughs> great. It's now the opposite of what it is. Yeah. Um, it, it is that night Bob comes through Laura's window. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, and so yeah, so Bob Bob comes through a window. It's old Frank Silver, yeah. like, like we usually see him with the with a denim jacket and the long stringy hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he he uh, uh, he he rapes Laura. I mean, partway partway through, uh, uh, Laura, Laura like like looks up at his face and she sees uh, that uh, that, that uh, she she sees that it is Leland, uh, her dad. And again, she freaks out and does some incredible screaming. Yeah. Um uh, and yeah, it's just it's upsetting. Um the next day she can't focus at school. Yeah. Um 
and, and she she breaks up with Bobby. Yeah, because he won't get her more cocaine, right, and yeah. he realizes she was essentially just using him. Hmm. Uh, and then we see there there's another painting on Laura's wall, which is of like an angelic, like a family, right, yeah, yeah, with an angel in it. But now we see it, and the angel is gone. <laughs> Uh, Laura like goes out in the woods again. Uh, the, 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 this time with James. Yeah. Uh, he, he's like taking her somewhere on on his, on his motorbike. Yeah. Uh, she like at this point she like kind of gets fed up with James because she is just trying to push everyone away. Yeah. Uh, because the because like she she knows that. Like, like she essentially knows that she's gonna die. She, she, she like feels it. Yeah, there, there are, and there is a reading of this film that it is about. The whole film is about a woman who, from the opening frame of her scene, knows she's going to die. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm not hundred percent in terms of that because. I believe in the complexity of Laura Palmer of her containing mm. multitudes. Yeah, um, but, but but like by 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 this point, she is like pretty much yeah. fully in a sense like like whether it's like whether it's going to be like Jacques, whether it's her father, yeah. whether it's Bob, whether it's something else. Like she she is going to die, and like the fewer people that still care about her, the like the, the better it's going to be for everyone. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and absolutely, and uh, like I I, I want to make I just yeah the the clarification I want to make is like. I, the, my point is that her death is tragic, yes. not... It's not, like, inevitable. It's not, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, she says, your Laura is gone. Yeah. But then it's just, like... Um, uh, she, oh, no, it's we. I thought he was... She was chasing him, but... He's chasing her as she's running away, screaming like "I love you, I love you." And mm. if that's not, I uh, if that's not modern romance, I don't know what is. Someone just saying, "No, your idea of me no longer exists." But then they run away, screaming "I love you." That's that's like most Tinder interactions I understand. Mm. So she 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 runs off into the woods, uh, uh, and she, she 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 goes up to Jacques' cabin where. Uh, 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 where Jacques is there with Leo and Ronette. Yeah, which uh, they, uh, which was arranged at, at the club, kind of in tandem with mm. the drug deal, and it's yeah. yeah, the wheels of fate, if you know from the show. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, and and so they're, they're all doing drugs and having sex, and then then we see someone sneaking up, sneaking up around the cabin. Who's that? It's old Ray Wise himself, Leland Palmer. Yeah, um, he's spying on his daughter having having a four way, uh, and then. Uh, uh, then, then like, uh, uh, then, then Jock uh, comes outside uh, to, to like to have a piss, and and Leland comes up behind him and like smashes a bottle over his head. Yeah, uh, knocks him out. Leo just goes outside. Um, sees that Jacques has been attacked and runs away. Oh, okay. Because Leo, I can't remember if Leo sees Leland. No, he 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 doesn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same. Yeah. Um. And yeah, yeah. So inside, Laura is like tied up. Is yeah. is, is Renette tied up as well? No. no. Um. Uh. uh Leland ties right near that. Right. Yeah. 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 So he he takes both of them to uh, uh to an abandoned train car. Yeah. In a in what I would call the unintentionally funniest shot of the film, because the scene of him like marching them uh, to the train car is is them in a black void with lights being flashed over them, kind of like poor man's process in a car, while they all bump j- like jump up and down, while he look like Ray Wise looks possessed. Yeah. and everyone looks terrified and like, to be clear in context it's horrific <laughs> but the shot on its own is just the most absurd thing that's ever happened yeah 
Um, and while they're on that journey, we, Mike realizes that Bob is going to kill again through yep. Leland uh, and starts to chase out of him. Um, I'll kill you mm. uh, if you don't let me possess you. Yep. That's what Bob wants to uh, inhabit Laura. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, because like, Mike is like outside of a train car. He's like he's like banging on. He's trying to get in because he wants to. He wants to save Laura and uh, Laura and Ronette. And uh, it seems yeah. And so Ronette uh, is able to like get over to the door, and she she she's able to open it. And Leland like beats her up and like throws her out the door to 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 like where Mike is. Yeah, and then slams the door back shut. Uh, and, and somewhere in that, Ronette has a vision of an angel. Oh right, yes, yeah. Oh, that, that, that's that's why she's able to get free. She, she, she yeah. So as Mike is banging on banging on the outside of the door, Ronette has a vision of Laura as, like floating above her as an angel. Yeah. And then when she like looks down, they're, they're like the rope tying her has, has been cut. Yeah. Um. But it is pointedly the design is slightly different. She's wearing different clothes. The angel mm. to the one in Laura's painting. Yeah. Um. Uh. And yeah, Mike uh, manages to throw the ring to Laura. Yes. And Laura puts on the ring, and that makes Bob Leland very angry. Mm. And because uh, it seems that now he cannot possess her, maybe that's what the ring right. does. Right. And, and then he starts Twin Peaks. <laughs> he kills Laura Palmer, wraps her in plastic. But as he kills her, Mike watches from outside the train mm. and does nothing more to intervene, and you know, which is uh, disturbing. And who is Mike and, and why? Um, but yeah, wraps, him, wraps her in plastic, uh, chucks it into the river like Teresa Banks, like the opening of the show. <laughs> it lands on the beach. We even begin to see the beginning footage from the film. Yeah, yeah. From the from the pilot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where, 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 the, where the, the plastic is like taken off of her face. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, Will, Will Hayward, Jack Nance, finds her. Mm. Um, and But we also go into the Black Lodge where my and the arm confront Bob mm. who has Leland floating next to him um, and they say uh, cool can we have some Garmin Boja and I know what you're thinking you're thinking I don't know what Garmin Boja is I hope the subtitles mm. explain and so of course it's like it's obvious it says we would like <laughs> We would like our Garmin Bosia open brackets. Pain and sorrow, close brackets. Because <laughs> um, that, 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 that is what they eat in, in the Black Lodge. They, yeah. they eat uh, like cream corn uh, that, uh, that is made out of uh, sorrow and suffering. And so here it is that we learn that kind of what Mike doesn't want, Mike didn't want, this is my reading right. on the situation. Yeah. Because uh, Mike did not want Bob to find a new avatar. Uh, what he wanted was more Garmin Bosia, and he killed two birds with one stone by forcing Bob to kill Laura. Right. To get Garmin Bosia, that the pain and suffering of that death. Pain and sorrow. Okay. Uh, it just like mm. even what I like is that even like if if they're at, like in almost any other narrative, Mike would be you know the good angel. Yeah. There to to save the day, and so much of what makes the cosmology of Twin Peaks interesting 
especially, uh, especially when you get into like the giant who doesn't really feature in this film. Yeah. Um, who's also the fireman. <laughs> uh, and of course the people at his house, the, the giant coffee pots, <laughs> Uh, is that it, this is not a case of like angels and devils. This is a set of people with other uh, um, agendas yeah. and, and narratives going on. It It is not as clean and simple as Mike wants to save the hero. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. And, and it, it, it is a thing where we're like, yeah, we're, we're like, we're like all, 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 all of these cosmic entities don't like, like they, they don't like care about humanity particularly. Yeah. And it becomes like, they certainly don't care about individuals. Yeah. yeah. And it's not, not, not near, it doesn't necessarily become like a cosmic horror type thing, but it, it, it sort of like edges near that at certain points about like, like the, like these uh, beings who like, like have the ability to like, to like control and destroy lives and they, they they are they are not like simple like good or evil they are they are complicated beings yeah. that like have wants and needs to like exist outside of things that we can totally comprehend well and, and that they exist kind of as yeah absolutely I, I i i'm just aware that what i'm about to say sounds like i might contradict that but no all of that is true and also they're kind of like a collective consciousness mm. in a way like it, it, it's not that they are entirely unmoored from humanity because they are kind of the animism of humanity right, yeah. may, uh, embodied. Um, uh, the guy who played the jumping man in the convenience store uh, uh, in an interview to, to cite the four and a half hour long Twin Peaks Explained video um, uh, say, says that um, David Lynch was telling him was like you are not playing a character you are playing a personification of an idea right and so I think there's a I think there's a, yeah but that's yeah. really interesting and then Laura is in the red room in the black lodge yeah um, Agent Cooper is at her side his hand on her shoulder and she like begins to like smile and laugh because she sees the angel yeah the angel from her um picture yeah and and, and yeah and there, there are just like these incredible shots of laura like you can't like, hear any sound she's making but you, you just like see like lights flashing in her face as as she like as she like laughs and like seems to feel some sort of vaguely like some sort of like, actual like joy and like some sort of positive like some sort of positive emotion for like the first time in the whole movie or and, yeah, and, and the first the time in the film, series yeah, yeah that, that we've known her um and then uh, it ends and then, yeah when this film came out as we've discussed reaction to it was veered from the reason we can call it sh the shite yeah is that it veered from like negative to uh, uh attempting to end david lynch's career the myth which is possibly true is that it got booed at khan mm. um which at least feels right like it was thoroughly rejected it failed financially it failed on almost everyone it was considered as, as having failed artistically yeah it wasn't even like oh uh, you know it wasn't oh, a, a secret gem bomb it was like nah man it's a stinker it sucks yeah people like this show's like all the flaws in in David Lynch's style. This this like this film is just kind of like empty shock and violence. It has it has like nothing to say, and it's it's just like it, it it's it's just like 
two and a half hours of of horrible, meaningless shit happening. Yeah, and uh, it's him crawling up his own ass. Yeah, uh, as well. And like it's it's con- it's like it's confusing and it's badly edited or whatever. And yeah. So why is that? Why are they wrong, Finn? Uh, I mean, I kind of can't imagine like thinking that. I can't imagine being like like a film reviewer or like someone who was like really into Twin Peaks. Like I can't I can't imagine like seeing this film and not being like this like this is like incredible what Lynch is doing here. Like I I I I, I like I, I I know this film is like purposely difficult and those performances are like, you know, very over the top and very exaggerated yeah. and a lot of very upsetting things happen in this movie. But like if if your job is to think and write about films, I, I don't know how you watch this movie and be like Cheryl Lee, bad performance. Ray Wise, bad performance. I like for, for, for like I know people do think like that, but so like as 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 I've like said before, what what one of my favorite types of like m- one of my favorite types of like performances in a movie is is like is like woman suffering a mental breakdown uh, and like giving this incredibly like expressive performance of grief. Yeah, I love Shirley in this. I love Isabella Gianni in Possession. Yeah, those sorts of movies are like exactly the sort of thing. Like that, like that. That is what I want to see from actors. And yeah, and and like I love it when people are able to go big in in a way that feels like. Not necessarily, not necessarily like real, but like honest, and yeah. like they are expressing something that is like you cannot express through like through like yeah, they're expressing emotions you cannot like really express through like like naturalistic acting. Well, and it, it, they are it is they are they are acting in the way that David Lynch makes work. Mm. Well, his best work. Yeah. Like I'm I am honestly still not sold on Inland Empire, but it, it is that it is absolutely it's not true, but it's real. Yeah. Like it doesn't make sense, but it is emotionally logical. Yeah. And it is like, yeah, it is kind of the realistic. Like, I don't see what is unnatural about Cheryl Lee's performance in this when you realize that she knows a demon is possessing her father and that explains the abuse that has been happening to her for years and that that intends to possess her and that that abuse has driven her into perpetual contact with the darkest and most um, abusive parts of the colonial idea of America. Yeah. And as I know, yeah, that's how you'd react. Yeah, you'd be either catatonic or screaming or strung out on drugs like yeah. it, it and, and but there is also like my push against calling either of these performances as bad is that like histrionics is a dangerous fucking game yeah and like when you get into expressionistic acting it can yeah it can turn into bad ham or corn yeah it can turn into corn beef uh it can turn into gum and bosia <laughs> Um, but that, that like every, like the scene of her outside the house, seeing Leland step outside compared to her protecting Donna, compared to her running away from James, compared to her in the train carriage, knowing her death is instant. Yeah. It, it's, it's not one, it's like, it's not one note. She, she, she finds like different ways to play all, yeah. all of those, all of those like scenes and like variances in, 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 in Laura's emotions. And, and like, yeah, like absolutely. And it just shows that he, like it is, 
And I think it would be easy to miss that mm. if you decided very quickly that it's just like, oh, this is a slasher film, which it, right. I'm not saying it's not. Like, yeah. it, kind, it kind of exactly is. Mm. But when, like, the keyword is just, and you're like, oh, it's just a slasher film, she is the final girl who doesn't make it out. Mm. Um, and so, of course, she's just going to scream the whole time. I, and I think if you have that thought already in your head going into this film, it would be very easy to be like, Oh, well, yeah, I mean, she's just screaming the whole time. And Ray Wise is just... He's, he's just he's just going he's just going cuckoo bananas. Yeah, he's just being Mike Myers. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and I think that is also like the audience's reaction mm. because it is still like of all the things that Twin Peaks innovated on, and like it was absolutely not the first show to be serialized, but shows that were like Twin Peaks that that had the tone and pace and space of Twin Peaks. You know, sheriffs or the FBI investigating crimes in a slightly light light and quirky world yeah what were not serialized works they were done in one thing yeah. they were to pay to pick a odd example but i think a comparable one like murder she wrote like murder she wrote she there was a different murder every week yeah in, you know? in this like tiny town <laughs> yeah at several points i believe she moved oh, okay uh um but, but like so each, each, each like each of those places would have like the highest murder rate in the, in the united yeah, states yeah, yeah. It, it is it's like the the county of Midsummer, yeah, uh, in um, in, in Midsummer Murders, in Midsummer Murders, yeah. not the county of Midsummer in Sweden, uh, which, which also has a lot of murders. Well, no, mainly suicides. Sure, then, like once every seventy years or whatever, there's a lot of murders. Did they? I okay. Tangent mm. break. In Midsummer, I think their intent is not to kill all of those people; it is to indoctrinate them, and they only kill them when it becomes clear they're not going to fit in. Sure, but like they 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 know ahead of time, like we're we're going to kill a couple of them. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. And then like, they yeah. they luckily they pull a Zach Braff and indoctrinate <laughs> Florence Pugh into liking a at best repellent idea of reproduction they're two consenting adults yeah. they're allowed to be happy uh, shows like Murder She Wrote were, were were done in one and introducing the serialised storytelling of you know, things like Murder One uh, and, and that were developing in homicide life on the streets yeah. or were to soon be developed in life homicide life on the streets and other serialised shows what, in the future too what, what was the big show that Mark Frost worked on before Twin Peaks oh his 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 other show was Hill Street Hill Blue. Street Blues, yeah. which which again did early serialized stuff, yeah, and of course yeah. the Fugitive, which which is very clearly echoed in a lot of Twin Peaks. But so much of like you have to answer the mystery was because like no 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 this is not a it didn't feel like. Its success was synthesis, and, and that it took that it was kind of everything that's on television. It was it was an unironically it was a sitcom. Unironically it was a soap opera, and unironically it was a mystery. Yeah, and it, to and it took those things over time, and all of those things at that point were much more contained. And we're like, we need to answer the murder. Give us and all of those things, sitcom soaps and murder mysteries are dependent on answers. They are the three forms that are questions. Yeah. What is someone going to do and like the whole point of Twin Peaks was to be like what if you just had the question and we are used to that now we are used to that because we live in a world of either poorly planned shows um, uh, incredibly well planned shows and cancelled shows so we are used to things not having answers 
But at the time, the fact that Twin Peaks had an answer and it was like, oh yeah, it's that, but stuff still doesn't make sense. I think it is more logical at that time to come to a movie being like, okay, cool, they're gonna, right, they're yeah. gonna wrap it up. Yeah, there's gonna be a bit where uh, the the man from another place, the arm goes, hello, Dale Cooper. Um, my name is God, you know, and, and like yeah. the answer and how yeah, like these I, things I, 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 I can, uh, yeah, I, I can understand not liking it if like you want answers to to Twin Peaks and you and like you don't have like the rest of the context for David Lynch's career like like I did coming in coming yeah. into it. Um, but also I I think it cuts both ways and like, I am trying to be empathetic in mm. that I I think it would be difficult. Yeah. I think it would be harder to like it at the precise time it came out. Yeah. I think it would be mm, like, I think there is a parallel universe where the briefly talked about plan that it was the first part of a trilogy to explain the whole thing. And like, when you look at the return, which was developed out of their ideas for a third season, yeah. it does fall kind of easily into two halves that you can make into two more films. Um, and, and not like where, where, which do give more answers as much as people look at the return and absolutely refuse to just read what it tells you. Um, uh, I, it is hard to. I could expect being disappointed with it. It is, it is that it was hated. Yeah, is the is the really upsetting thing. Yeah, the fact that like Cheryl Lee was like never the star of a major film again after this. Like, like she, she, she was the, she was the like. Well, can't except for she, she's the star of Kaye's to cinema's best film, uh, uh, of the twenty tens, yep. Twin Peaks: The Return. Yeah, and she, she, she's like the, she's like a supporting lead in John Carpenter's Vampires, hmm. which is like one of John Carpenter's worst movies, which is like, like like three years after this I mean yeah she, she's 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 mostly in like stuff that no one's heard of until until uh, until the return it seems batshit fucking crazy that we have this wave of smart horror that is all so like to pick to pick an obvious example Tony Collette in Hereditary is doing the performance of a lead character in a David Lynch film yeah um like the A24 TM brand of horror does not exist without without David Lynch and like specifically without Twin Peaks. Yeah. And so the fact that that old Ari and you know why couldn't Cheryl Lee be Saint Maud because I think that character is 17. <laughs> but, you know. Um and and so yeah, when I become an acclaimed horror director, Cheryl Lee please don't die until then because um, yeah, it just it, it genuinely makes me sad. Yeah, and, and like like Ray, Ray Wise has like worked consistently since yeah. since then. But well, like, and he had been working consistently up until that point. Yeah, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, but he, he's like he most he mostly just like d- d- does like TV stuff or or, or like or like, like like bit parts in like horror films and stuff. Yeah. But every time I think about the like critical reception of his film, it, it, it bums me out. They're like they're like they're like. This fucking performance got no respect, and it like ruined her career. When this should have this should have been a fucking launching pad, and that is even because obviously we're not we're not the vanguard of anything. Yeah, people agree that this film is good. Yeah, because look at it, use your eyes, mm. and like like it is good within the mode of being like a a a, a, a surreal horror film. Uh, in a way that Twin Peaks is deliberately not horrific yeah. in many ways. Um, and so I can understand there's an element of that. But like, if you like scary shit and like fucked up stuff, if you like the adrenaline film, f- 
the adrenaline fuel of like scary but safe but asking real questions like this is in it's in the book yeah you know it is it is it's on the list if you want a good horror film watch that and like i guess for me i like the distinction i would make between it and blue velvet is that i think fire walk with me is like an all-time horror film which is an incredible compliment yeah and i think blue velvet is just an all-time film right do you know what i mean it is it is that one is five out of five and one is six out of five yeah so Finn I hope over this technically three day long podcast you've had time to consider this but I have a question for you yep Finn Twin Peaks Firewalk with me is it shy or sound uh, it is sound yeah it's so sound yeah it, it is like fuck it's good yeah this is one of those movies that I'm going to like keep returning to pro- 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 probably not like super often because it's very draining yeah but, but like at least like once every year j- just because like <laughs> I think there is very there is so much incredible stuff in this film and so much of it like is still like opaque to me that I need to like yeah. that, I, that I need to like try and if, if, if not figure out then like at least accept that I can't figure out yeah um, I, and also I'm, I'm seeing it in like two weeks <laughs> Yeah, for me, I like watching. I've never watched it on its own. I've only ever watched it while doing Twin Peaks. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, and I would be interested to see it at some point in the future when it's not, you know, I haven't just seen yeah. um, uh, Carl, Carl McLaughlin kiss a mirror. Um, and yeah, I hope to do that in the future. But yeah. Yeah, usually this bit is like, oh, we, we read like a half star review of a movie everyone agrees is great. And then we read a five star review of a movie like, the, the, like we both don't like but uh this is a five-star review of a movie we both like a lot yeah this is by letterbox user uh, jake cole this is a review that i that i really like a lot and i've kind of like come back to several times over the past like a couple years twin peaks firewalk for me is along with showgirls the most emulating american film of the 1990s a violent rupture amid a decade of sleek cool and self-conscious irony this film is the axe river tv the the woman who mimes in symbolism the most direct troll job lynch ever pulled on the people who try to solve his work dear meadow the living ghost town that inverts twin peaks so much that even the diner stands out for how miserably perfunctory it is a place that doesn't even sell food so much as calories twin peaks itself drained of nearly all common or even just innocent characters. No cop in sight as Laura barrels headlong towards her end. Ray Wise converting the most physical, overwhelming performance in the history of American TV into something even more feral, all quivering rage. He plays Leland Voy, but Pete Postlethwaite played the father in distant voices still lives. A domestic tyrant who seems to emanate a copper taste in the air when he draws near. But like Postlethwaite's character, Leland buries a genuine capacity for tenderness beneath the fury, albeit of a kind that only makes the anger worse because it stems from an inability to cope with the love. Of course, Wise is not centre stage here, and even his intensity pales in comparison to Cheryl Lee's all-time performance. Finally allowed to provide her own account, Laura shatters the preconceptions of her spread by characters on the show. This is a Falconetti-esque performance, a study of total agony performed in endless close-up, scanning the tremors, ticks, widening eyes, and tightening mouth as nothing but fear and pain slam into Laura. Watch her absolute frozen terror when Leland explodes at her for not washing her hands before dinner, or the way she plummets into her own sorrowful hell in one-eyed jacks while listening to Julie Cruz, only to rally to sneer at two Johns who come to pay for her time. 
The word fearless is trotted out far too much when discussing acting, which is to say that it's used at all. But this is one of the handful of performances that abundantly deserves that description. It's nearly impossible to look at Lee head on, lest you be blinded by the thermite scorch of her work, a total depiction of unending self-eradicating fear. Justice for Cheryl Lee. So where can people find us, Finn? Uh, you can find the show on Twitter at ShiteSoundPod, or you can email us at ShiteSoundPod at gmail.com. Check out our website at ShiteAndSound.com. Uh, you can find me, personally, uh, uh, on all your socialised media of choice. Uh, just put in the handle Youther Lives. Where can people find you, Finn? Uh, who cares? Our theme song is The Nux by Kazam Blam. You can check him out on Bandcamp. If you like the show, and if you've made it to the end of this, you do. <laughs> like and subscribe. Tell your friends. Uh, uh, we, 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 we promise uh, the next few episodes will be shorter. Next week is Blade Runner, though, man. (laughs) (laughs) So what are we watching next week? Next week, we are watching Ridley Scott's Blade Runner. Do androids dream of electric sheep? No, they dream of electric unicorns. And with that, we are watching uh, Ringo Lamb's Replicant, starring Jean-Claude Van Damme. So, like, this is sort sort of a sequel to Blade Runner, right? Like it, it uses the word replicant, and it's, <laughs> and it's about replicants. Uh, that's why we picked it. Uh, we, it might, like, it might be an unofficial Blade Runner sequel. No, 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 no. no. Has no, just nothing to do with Blade Runner. <laughs> no, it just has the word replicant. Okay, it. great. That's close enough. It's close enough. <laughs> Movies are good. Even bad ones. Go watch them. You could uh, squeeze the credits into a tiny little box in the corner of the screen and make them go really fast, like every TV show. No, I mean, not every TV show. Uh, Some TV shows were made long in the past and cannot be shown because they uh, contain just incredible racism. And those credits, having never been broadcast, are still beautiful big on on the screen, slowed Mm. down. The Black and White Minstrel Show. It was was on the air until the mid-70s. I I, I don't know. It's a pretty hot-button topic, but I do want say that it is the black minstrels I'm most offended <laughs> by. <laughs> I Honestly, if that was just the white minstrel show... Okay, but here's... Let you know a little secret about the, about the white minstrels of that show. They're wearing blackface. Oh. <laughs> they're not... They've not painted their face white. No. Uh, okay, so I I would like to retract my previous <laughs> statement about the black and white minstrel show. Under no circumstances think, should you hand <laughs> it to him. I think all the minstrels are equally bad. Um, I don't give a shit how good you are at playing the lute. I'm anti-minstrel, just in general. The lute, the lute, the lute is on fire. <laughs> We don't need no no. Okay, we've got to talk. We've got to talk about this fucking movie. Yeah, I know. We've been going for over an hour now. Oh, well over an hour. It's technically tomorrow. <laughs>
I just feel punch drunk from jokes. I'm just like, my brain is now in joke search mode where it's just like, now you've had the endorphin of have, having fun chatting with your friend. And you just want to do, well, it's, it's a joke. 